And we're live. Hello, and welcome back to a forceful episode of the First Time Watchers Podcast. We like to watch. My name is Tim Costa. I'm Hermano De Silva. This is Walter Vinci. And joining us tonight is monthly contributor, the man who has a very high count of MIDI criterions, Mark Ernie. Well, <laughs> welcome back to the show, Mark. <laughs> Thank you so much. Uh, I, I hope my midichlorian count is high, too. But, uh, midi criterion. <laughs> uh, nice. Speaking of, how is the Criterion Close-Up podcast going? Very good, very good. We've uh, we're twenty episodes in. We just hit that recently, um, and yeah, it's been awesome. We just talked about our twentieth episode. We talked about our favorite Blu-rays of the past year, so Criterion and otherwise, other other labels included. Uh, and we also uh, episode before that was an interview with Mr. Alex Cox, the Repo Man and Sid and Nancy director. So very yeah. cool. Wow. Uh, how'd time. you how'd you wrangle that uh, interview up? <laughs> that was all my my co-host producer friend Aaron West. That was all his doing. So he he had uh, he connected with Mr. Cox and uh, we set up the interview. So it was it was great. We had a nice nice probably a good hour and a half that uh, we were speaking with him. Uh, he has a new film that he's working on called Tombstone Rashomon, which is an Indiegogo at least partially funded film that he's working on so and it's a uh, tombstone rashomon it's a it's really the it's the story of the gunfight at the okay corral told in a rashomon style which i don't know if any have you any of you seen rashomon oh i've seen rashomon and that is an there amazing movie isn't it it's it's incredible yes. so the reason he's calling it that is he's uh, most of the other movies about the gunfight at the okay corral are told from various viewpoints Right, and yeah. it's always kind of skewed to one viewpoint. I believe I, I can't. Don't call me because I haven't seen them all. But uh, he was, you know, mentioning that, and this is going to be told from everyone's viewpoint. Um, that, so that is excellent. Uh, that's an excellent you know, uh, take. Did you say that he was just writing this? He has. Uh, I believe he's written it, uh, and he was getting the funding for it. He's supposed to film it next year. Wow. So he's got it partially cast. I believe. I think he's getting some more casting together, but. Uh, he didn't make his goal. Uh, I think he, he made about a, a fifth of his goal or so. But hey, you know it'll just be a lower lower budget film. He says he's still going to make it. So. That is an excellent idea. Yeah, yeah, I think it's great. It's a really good good premise. So um, you know if, if and I'll just mention anyone listening, if you want to uh, contribute, we're, we're gonna we're still going to get in touch with Alex Cox about the film. So just email feedback at criterioncloseup.com. And uh, we'll we'll let you know how you can uh, contribute. Excellent, excellent. So, anyways, what we like to do on the FTW podcast is find a movie that none of us have seen, watch it together, and then discuss. These movies could be new, they could be old, or something that's on all of our lists of shame. And stay tuned to the very end of this episode to each of us actually rank all the Star Wars films. And if you'd like to send feedback, remember to email us at firsttimewatchers at gmail.com or leave us a voicemail at 508-399-1764. Speaking of feedback, we have a bet to pay off, guys. Let's hear it up. What was the bet again? Uh, so earlier this year, the three of us made a friendly wager, and we predicted opening box office weekend for Star Wars Episode Seven. Um, I think we are all a little bit generous because we—I don't think we were able to calculate really, maybe off the cuff that well. Uh, so I was the one that was the highest and predicted three hundred and fifty million dollars. Uh, Wally, you bet three hundred and twenty-five million dollars, and Hermano was much more reasonable in where he bet two hundred and seventy-five million, making him the winner because the opening weekend gross was just a hair under two hundred and forty-eight million dollars. Uh, obviously, making it the number one uh, of all time, you know, setting records in over four thousand theaters, and uh, that is the highest 
uh, amount of theaters a movie has ever opened in uh, as well. So, uh, Hermano, congratulations. Thanks, you silly bastards. Um, <laughs> <laughs> um, I, you know what? Leading up to the movie, I got to be honest. I, with all the hype and everyone saying how good it was and all the pre-sales I was seeing, I'm like, holy shit. I actually was biting my nails for a bit because I was like, wow, I could actually hit like 300, you know, maybe even close to 325 million dollars and I, I I actually was genuinely a little concerned that I was gonna lose the bet. But I mean realistically when when we first made the bet I was like I, I just can't imagine a movie um just cracking three hundred million in, in a weekend. Like it, it just seems like such a a reach. Um so I mean that's why I went a little bit lower. But even at two seventy five I was like what like thirty million over. So yeah, yeah. um even I was like, you know, being a little generous. So uh, yeah, so the bet was, you know, whoever won the bet got to assign uh, the other two a, a film to watch, you know, one they hadn't seen. And um, for Wally, I think it was easy right away. I know he hasn't um, hasn't seen Tree of Life yet, so for me, <laughs> that that was an easy uh, choice for him because I, I I genuinely love that movie and I own it. So if he needs to borrow it, you know, you don't have to send out for it, Wally. I will uh, need to borrow it. Okay, so Tree of Life for Wally. And for Tim, I was it was a little harder because I know T- Tim's seen a lot of the same stuff that I have, and um, but I think you probably have a little bit of, of a hole in your Malik viewing as oh, well. No. Um, so which Malik films haven't you seen? I, I mean, which ones have you seen? Uh, I've seen The Tree of Life. I've seen Badlands. Uh, I've seen uh, the one with Colin Farrell. Um, a new world. A, a new world. A new world. Okay. Uh, uh, what else is there? Oh, the I, red line. Line. I've seen the Thin Red Line. Days okay. of Heaven. I have not seen Days of Heaven. That is the one I was going to assign you because I wasn't sure if you had seen it though, and I actually like that one quite a bit. It's it's one of my favorites from him. So, for okay. you, Days of Heaven. I just literally added it to my Netflix queue. Woohoo! So I, I think you'll so, like it. Another criterion on its way. Thankfully, it's only 93 minutes long. <laughs> what do you mean, thankfully? Uh, I'm just glad it's not a three-hour tome uh, by him, you know, with a lot of people cut out. <laughs> I hear you. Uh, anyways, in this episode, we'll be discussing, what else? Something everybody else has already talked about. Star Wars Episode Seven: The Force Awakens. Let's get right yes. into it. What the fuck is Star Wars? <laughs> there has been an awakening. Have you felt it?
The plot. Three decades after the defeat of the Galactic Empire, a new threat arises. The First Order attempts to rule the galaxy, and only a ragtag group of heroes can stop them, along with the help of the Resistance. The director, J.J. Abrams. The actors, Daisy Ridley, John Boyega, Oscar Isaac, Adam Driver, Donald Gleason, Harrison Ford, Carrie Fisher, and the rest of the gang! Mark, please explain to us your relationship with the Star Wars franchise and if this film comes close to reigniting the flame that was sparked with Hmm. the original trilogy. Hmm. Well, that is quite a flame to spark. (laughs) Uh, I I won't go into too much detail because I have a long and history history (laughs) with the Star Wars franchise, but um, the films came out when uh, originally I was like two years old. I remember seeing the first movie really young. I remember seeing... Empire Strikes Back at the drive-in, and I remember seeing Return of the Jedi in the theater very, very vividly. Uh, got back into the Star Wars universe back in 1991 with the expanded universe novels when those started. I don't know if you guys remember the Timothy Zahn series. Um, took place five years after uh, Return of the Jedi. There was also a comic book called Dark Empire came out about the same time. And, um, yeah, this was all kind of leading up to the prequels in 1999. And of course, we, in you know, 1997, we got the, uh, the special editions, um, which my claim to fame is uh, having, being a Star Wars geek at the time, seeing all three of them in the theater in one day because they <laughs> happened to coincide with that. So, yeah, I mean, it's been part of my mythology, my own personal mythology all my life. So I was uh, very excited to hear this was coming out. And reigniting the flame. Does it, this movie do that for you? Yes. Yes. Um, I would like to see it again. Uh, first time, you know, is it, always just a, a bit overwhelming for me. And usually whenever I see a movie the second time, I, it gets that much better. Um, so I would say I was certainly taken aback by certain things that were in the film that we'll get into. Um, but as far as reigniting, I mean, from being funny, action-packed, really getting exactly what I expected from a J.J. Abrams-directed you know, franchise movie like this, absolutely. And, uh, yeah, I, I'm, I'm right back. Uh, I, I, I mean, I've, I've moved on a little bit, I'd say, because, you know, like you know, I co-host a Criterion podcast where I'm delving into film history. But as far as going with my family and enjoying a film like this that is, uh, a, you know, a lot of fun. It's a, it's a blockbuster. It's something that... Uh, I haven't heard people cheering in a movie theater like that in forever since I can remember. So it was experience. And yeah, the the flames ignited, definitely. Uh, so by the way, I forgot to mention, this will be a spoiler-filled review because everybody's seen this movie. Like I said, it's made $250 million. If if you're listening to this, you've probably seen this movie already. So uh, just beware, there will be spoilers. We're not going to have a spoiler section. Just consider the whole review here spoiler-filled. Uh, Walter, uh, uh, when it comes to the build-up to this film, you have been the least enthusiastic a- amongst all of us. Uh, hell, you didn't even see this until Tuesday night. Hmm. Uh, but your thoughts on this film? Uh, this is not the best film that I've seen all this year. Uh, I see a lot of uh, that being thrown around Twitter and on Facebook. You know, best movie of the year! Not even close. Um, but I will say it was the most fun movie that I've seen this year so far i enjoyed watching this thoroughly i i would say that i i went as far as i loved this movie um i've got a lot of stuff to say about it still there's stuff that i just like oh boy (laughs) um but uh, overall i think this movie this movie was was just so much fun 
so much fun and entertaining, and I had a I had a blast watching it actually. Uh, but you know, also the in the same vein, you know, uh, with uh, your relationship to the Star Wars franchise, and if it, it it seemed like it reignited that flame for you as well. I don't have that flame that everybody else seems to have for the Star Wars franchise. I just I don't. Um, I like them. I like A New Hope. I like Empire Strikes Back. I like Return of the Jedi. Not a fan of the first two of the prequels, but actually really got into and dug the third one, the Revenge of the Sith. And I saw that a couple times in the theater, actually, when it came out. Um, And as far as Expanded Universe goes, uh, I've read a few of the Dark Horse uh, comic series that they've released about the Star Wars universe and different characters in it. But as far as like the that 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 spark that people seem to have for this this franchise, I don't I don't think I have it because it was one of those things that if we weren't reviewing this movie, I probably would have waited even longer to go see it. Like I'm like, oh, I'll see it eventually. Hmm. Like I'm I'm more stoked for the Revenant and Hateful Eight to come out than I am hmm. than I was for this movie. You know what I mean? I don't have that that. Uh, Sense of nostalgia. I, I, that, yeah, that, that sense of nostalgia for it. Like for me, like those movies are the Star Trek movies. Like I get stoked when a new Star Trek movie comes out. Hmm. But I think that's because I was introduced to that universe before the Star Wars universe. Hmm. As a little kid, seeing you know my dad um, showed me you know the original Star Trek series, which I got really I was like I was like what the hell is this? This is amazing. Um, uh, and, and Doctor Who and, and stuff like that. So that's that's my sci-fi intro to this whole this whole this whole thing. So I was watching those before. I even got to see my the Star Wars the first time around for A New Hope. Uh, Return of the Jedi was the first one I, I had seen that I can remember off the top of my head because it was on HBO during one of those free periods. But um, so as far as the spark goes, like I'm excited to see what comes next because I, I thought this was this was done well enough that it, it sparked my interest. In, like, oh, what else you got for me? I, like, what, what else? What else, what else is going to happen in this universe? And, and for the love of God, please expand it. Uh, Hermano, you actually, you know, you, you, the two of us were talking earlier this week and wondering, uh, if Wally would liked it. And I think both of our reactions were no, not at all. (laughs) (laughs) Well, yeah, I, I just, I, based on his kind of lukewarm, uh, take on Star Wars and not being like a huge fan, like he just mentioned, um, I just thought that he would have a lot of issues with the story and, um, certain plot elements that, you know, might've seemed very familiar so, yeah, I, I think I'm surprised, actually, to hear that he, he enjoyed it uh, on some level. You know what I mean? Like, he had fun. And your thoughts? Um, I think I'm a lot like Mark. Uh, I definitely want to see it a second time because going in for the first time, uh, the anticipation, all the buildup, all the waiting was, you know, finally over and sitting in that theater, like, knowing that the movie was about to start, just, like, I, I had chills. Like, I, I had goosebumps, like, just waiting for this movie to start. I couldn't believe the day had finally come to see this. And I, I mean, just based on my initial viewing of it, I loved it. Um, I think J.J. Abrams did something amazing. I mean, he, he, he made me fall in love with these characters a lot, like I did with the original characters, like, you know, Luke and Leia and Han and all that. Like, all these... These these new cast of characters, I, I he did such a good job of making you, making them likable almost instantly. Like it, it's so hard to not like these characters. Uh, I thought they all did a good job, all played you know by the respective respected actors and stuff like that. Um, I got a little choked up when uh, when Han and Chewie appear at first, and even though that that line was in the trailer, like you know Chewie were home, like 
oh my god, all these feelings just came rushing back to me. All that nostalgia of watching these when you were a kid and, and, and loving this character and seeing him, you know, aged and 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 knowing like he's you know reuniting with you know this ship that he loves so much and, and in a lot of ways you're reuniting with this character. It's almost like seeing like an old friend you haven't seen in years. And just, you know, knowing all your history you have with them, you know, like you just get full of emotions and stuff like that. And I just felt that through and through, you know, uh, anytime he was on screen, basically. And anytime all, you know, the familiar original characters were on screen, um, I was just so in awe of what he was able to do with the story and um, and make it feel at times new and, and in a lot of ways, obviously very familiar. I think we'll get into that eventually. But overall, I, I, I had such a ball watching this. I mean, the, the theater atmosphere was electric. Like, it, everyone was clapping. Anytime someone showed on screen, like people were like applauding. Everyone was just cheering. It, it was amazing experience. Yeah, the experience was was really amazing. You know, there was a buzz leading up to it. And I remember during all the trailers at the beginning, you know, people were like, okay, the trailers, of course. But I think it was with the last two trailers that people were finally getting, like, upset because you have that, that short wait between the end of a trailer and then whether or not the uh, movie starts or the, the green screen comes up for another trailer, you know? And, and when the second-to-last uh, trailer came up, People in my theater were like, Ugh, all right, all right, okay. And then the, the last trailer came up. People were like, Ugh, more visibly upset at Reichel that the movie wasn't starting yet. So it was really funny. Uh, but, you know, that atmosphere, again, once the Lucasfilm logo showed up, people cheered. Once uh, the the fanfare started up with the, with the song at the beginning, people cheered. And then silence. As soon as the opening crawl started, you know, silence because they wanted to pay, read and absorb it and understand it, you know. And then, just like you said, in my theater, cheers. Uh, and it was all respectful, too. He's like, you know, nice cheers, quiet cheers for when all the major characters just showed up. But uh, Or, uh, you know, when the reveal of the Millennium Falcon, you know, which was a great moment. Uh, you know, but overall, everybody was just wrapped with attention. It was great. You know, and I was, you know, just just uh, enthralled with this movie. I, I, I really, really enjoy it. It, it, it. Like you said, Hermano. J.J. Abrams did a bang-up job because it's a near-impossible task with what he pulled off. Because, and this is something we discussed when it was announced that, you know, what was it, three years ago, that Disney, you know, bought Lucasfilm for that amount of money. And then it was like, at that time, you know, I had, I remember saying, it was even on the show, I remember saying, uh, I do not envy whoever they choose to, to eventually direct this movie because it, it will be a thankless near impossible job uh, it, because you will not be able to please everybody. And I think that was the task that Abrams uh, saddled himself with is, and the writers too, you know, is, is coming up with, with material that um, does two jobs at once, you know, pays homage, respects the, the, the true history of the original trilogy as well as moving forward with these with new characters and a new story, uh, and and I think for the most part they do a pretty good job. You know, I think uh, there's a, a little bit of homage making to a fault uh, at times. Uh, there's a little bit too much callback at times, but I don't think it gets saddled with that. I think uh, if you have um, a history with this, you're able to overlook it. I, I think only the most discerning, uh, unnostalgic people will uh, pick apart things that are just, um, 
you know, that they will have a lot of problems with. But overall, you know, it, it, they did a, a great job. Everything comes together. I, I think Daisy Ridley as Rey is one of the best characters you could ever introduce into the series because she is such an amazing, amazing uh, presence on screen. The, the casting overall is is fantastic. Uh, you know, it, it's very reminiscent of the casting of the original trilogy of, of the first Star Wars, um, you know, relative unknowns, you know, with the exception of maybe Oscar Isaac, uh, you know, uh, and, you know, who's a lot more well-known um, to, to, to even, you know, regular moviegoers as saying, oh, at least that, you know, that guy, you know. Uh, but especially uh, Ridley and Boyega, uh, great people to have uh, to, to move this story forward. And, uh, yeah, I, I really, really, really dug this. Anything uh, you want to dig into, Mark? Um, I, I feel like we could probably spend a couple of hours sure. uh, just on this film. Uh, I mean, I, I, after seeing this movie, I had so many thoughts r running through my head. I did have a lot of reservations during the movie. And I really – I found myself, um, you know, just getting taken over by Abrams and the, the power of the film and the, the – I guess the humor of the film, but now I, I did have a lot of let, a lot of thoughts. Let me ask you first, though. You saw this with your family. I did, and you saw this with your kids, who mm -hmm. uh, I would assume is their first Star Wars theatrical experience, right? It is. Yeah, I, that's a great point. Yeah, they they weren't uh, old enough to see Episode Three in the theater, and it would have been you know PG thirteen back in two thousand five. So it was. Um, and they, they both liked it quite a bit. Uh, my son said it's his second favorite movie <laughs> this year to Jurassic World, which he's a, he's a dinosaur guy, so I can't fault him for that. Well, um, I think my point but, is, is do, do you think that your, your, your at least initial opinion of this movie might be clouded by how the, the, the experience, uh, experiencing with them was? Not really. No, no, I no, because I, I probably picked it apart more than I, I should have <laughs> on, on first viewing, uh, just because, you know, we <laughs> dissect movies. We talk about them on sure, podcasts. Sure. <laughs> so, but no, I mean, it, it was just great to, to see their, their reaction. Both of them liked it quite a bit. I mean, we're, we're, I'm going to take my daughter to see it in 3D. We did just see it in 2D the first time. Um, my son's funny. He's like, ah, I can wait till it comes out on home video. So, <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, nope, I can't. Yeah, yeah, you're right. I need to see it a second time as well. There's there's a lot of stuff, you know, especially today. I'm I'm you know letting it simmer in my head more, and I'm thinking about it more today. I'm like, man, I really need to see it again because, you know, you're right. It is overwhelming at first because mm -hmm. you, there's so much that you're seeing and you want to see and you're anticipating and you know I'm, I'm not one of those people that completely avoided every single bit of of media thrown my way I, although I didn't hunt it out you know all the major trailers I saw I didn't I didn't pay attention to any of the the, the all the TV spots within the week leading up to it or anything like that but yeah you know even so even if you're mildly uh um anticipating this you know i can see yourself being overwhelmed by a lot of stuff and being like man uh it just uh, a second viewing i think will add a lot more you know yeah i think so and i i hope it doesn't uh bring up the flaws more i don't think it will i i just have a feeling of going through this this film uh probably the flaws will even seem less on a second viewing uh they may seem more on a fifth or sixth viewing that uh will kind of you know bother me but um yeah i mean i 
I, I really liked, I, I think Abrams is smart about using what we loved about the, you know, the original trilogy, the, the space chases, the humor, um, the family aspects uh, of the film. But there is also, I, I do have some concerns with what he did too, whereas it feels like the scope is much smaller, um, the threat not as dire, and there's still the, um, it's a very familiar film. And I, you alluded to this before, how it is such an echo of some of the other films. Um, there's echoes of, of Empire I saw and even episode one, but so much of A New Hope. Mm-hmm. And I, I wasn't surprised because, again, this is Abrams, you know, doing, you know, uh, what kind of what we expected. He's going to tickle that nostalgia bone. Well, it's way it's what he's fun. Yeah, it's what he's done in the past with his previous films. You know, right. when you think about especially Super 8, you know, and, and mm-hmm. even uh, the, the two Star Trek films. Yeah, well, and that's that's the other point is I've heard people some some people saying this feels too much like a Star Trek film and uh, not as much of a Star Wars. And I they said the same thing with Star Trek, saying it feels too much of a Star Wars film. Yeah, I couldn't it's, disagree more uh, about about that. Uh, okay. Thinking this is a like a Star Trek film, I, I think it's it's very much a Star Wars film. Uh, I think it tries so hard and maybe even too hard at times to be a Star Wars film. Mm. Uh, Wally, anything you want to add about this? Uh, yeah, I can see where Mark says uh, this is familiar because this is exactly episode four. <laughs> <laughs> so many complaints. parallels. Yeah. Parallels. <laughs> parallels. <laughs> okay, the exact same plot. <laughs> okay. <laughs> and and the and apparently the villains have not learned a damn thing in thirty years. Uh, all right, so uh, we have a giant space station capable of blowing up a planet. All right, cool. We can use it. Boom. Planet's gone. Pretty cool, huh? Shit, we forgot about that that ventilation cover. <laughs> All right, so our, our fucking spaceship is gone. Well, so what do we do next? Uh, about uh, we still got we still got a laser cannon. We can build another one. Yes, let's do that. Let's put a force field on it this time. Shit, the fucking rebels blew up that thing too. What else can we do? What else can we do? You fast forward thirty years. What else can we do? A uh, what do you think we build a a, a giant space killing sphere again with a bigger with a bigger gun? Is that we'll put it on an entire planet? There's no way they could do the, they could do the same thing to us this time. Greenlight that idea, Johnson. We're good to go. <laughs> Brilliant. Um, you no, know, yeah, I agree that this is you know a, a lot of a, a retread. But you know that that's the thing is is you know playing it safe. I think was almost a necessity with this, in which there had to be a lot of familiar aspects. Uh, to to this movie because you you're not because you have to bring back the people that were disenfranchised with the prequels you know that that was one of the tasks that was at hand was you, you if this movie was on level as as the prequels and didn't have the same charm or the same um a draw as the original trilogy, then you're you're not gonna bring those people back and have them stay and want to continue with this franchise, you know, and and with the these people, the the, the characters, you know. So so I, I think it was almost a necessity, and like I said, it was almost an impossible task, uh, you know, when they originally uh, bought the uh, the series. So so yeah, uh, Hermano, you want to add anything? Yeah, I, I completely agree with what you just said. I mean, they they had the ta- they had. T- this task of erasing the stink of the prequel movies, which, you know, are the most recent Star Wars films, and kind of also remind audiences why you love the originals. I mean, it's basically the reason that they kind of went with kind of a similar storyline. Um, I mean, 
clearly they played it safe. I mean, they didn't take huge chances in this film, except for maybe one instance, mm-hmm. uh, one particular moment in the film where I thought I, I knew that it was about to happen. But well, we're, still, we're the spoilers. Feel free to spoil. It's fine. Well, I, do you want to talk about it now? If you want, sure. We can dig into okay, it. Too. Well, I mean, for, for every moment that, you know, this movie seems really reminiscent of A New Hope in, in parts Empire. And, and I agree. It is kind of crazy to think that, you know, oh, it's another, you know, uh, giant, you know, fucking gun that can destroy planets. And we got to destroy it by the end of the film. I mean, all that stuff aside, I mean... I was glad that they, they brought back all those, like, archetype characters. Like, you got, like, you know, Ray is kind of like Luke. And, and Johnny Boyega and um, Poe Dameron, played by Oscar Isaac, are kind of like a split. They kind of split and take different aspects of Han Solo a little bit. And in this film, Han Solo kind of becomes the Obi-Wan. Like, he's the one that's kind of filling in uh, plot details for these characters that, you know, didn't experience the events in the previous films. And he's kind of like the Obi-Wan kind of schooling them a little bit and telling them like, you know, all this stuff that you you guys have heard legend of is true. And yes, I was part of that. And, you know, the Jedi's and all this stuff for all this, for all the times they played it safe. And I, I kind of enjoyed it. Like, and it's kind of the reason I want to see it a second time is like, am I going to see flaws in it with, with all the excitement removed and I've seen it already. Now I can kind of watch it a second time and kind of really just look at it as a film Versus a big nostalgia fest. But I mean, the one big chance they took was with the character of Han Solo. I mean, that 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 scene kind of broke my heart. I, 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 could, I could definitely tell the way they had set it up. Yeah. It was clear that something momentous was going to happen. And, and, and even though it, I, I kind of assumed that this is what was about to happen, I was still blown away that, you know, they went this far with a, a beloved character. I mean, I, I'm surprised I haven't heard more outcry uh, about that that particular moment in the film. Well, one thing I had talked about in uh, our bonus episode of the uh, original trilogy was, you know, looking forward uh, to this movie and, and beyond was, was you know, I, I hope that they take a chance. I hope that they kill off a major character. And, and it's exactly what I expected uh, would happen. You know, as the movie is going along, I mean, you know, there was so much... Harrison Ford, there was so much Han Solo in this movie. I was like, there's something going to happen, especially, you know, as that moment came up. I I was like, okay, this is where it's going to happen. So I don't know if I had that that emotional reaction. I think I had more so of a reaction when you see later on Chewie pretty much crying in the corner, you know. I was yeah. like I was like, "Oh my god, that that's that's so rough because it it's it is an emotional scene. It is an emotional moment, um but it's also something that I think is is needed and deserved to to progress this story along to progress. You know, I always talk about stakes and and sure, you know, may, maybe stakes would be too uh, too strong of a word to or, or term to use in this kind of of movie series, um, but I think uh, uh, for uh, emotional and character arcs, you know, it's going to be probably going to be similar to how, like you alluded to, like how uh, Luke witnessed Obi Wan, you know, uh, dying. But I think the the arc might be a little bit more stronger because there's more connection to more living characters. You know, you know what I mean. Uh, especially going forward. So, uh, yeah, um, uh, it's it's really interesting. Mark, you have anything to add? Yeah, I guess I was uh, I was a little bit surprised by the the scene. I, I was surprised that I was surprised to to an extent, <laughs> but I really I guess what I was thinking is that they 
I should have known better because I knew that Harrison Ford wanted out of the franchise. Um, He's talked about that since the end of Empire. So he's got his wish. He had his, it's like, you know, generations from uh, Star Trek where, you know, um, well, I I won't spoil that. (laughs) um, So, but I would say I was still surprised. And the reason I was still surprised is because what I've heard from people, and I would agree, what the prequels were missing episode one, two, and three were the Han Solo character. So I just, based on, you know, that and agreeing, I mean, it, it, we didn't have the smuggler. We didn't have the wisecracking uh, Han Solo in episode one, two, and three. It almost, you know, that's what, what I was thinking, um, that are we going to really go there? And and we did, and it, it feels like, um, you know, th- there's got to be some kind of a, th- they're really going to bring it back to being more about the Force again. And I, I just I wonder how um, that's going to play out in the, uh, you know, the upcoming um, movies. Uh, I think one of the concerns I have with this film um, is, I mean, I think it's it's really good at setting up future films. I mean, that's obvious. Yeah. Look at the, you know, the the entire plot line and what happens at the end with Luke. But I, I feel I felt a little bit like it was um, a Damon Lindelof <laughs> penned film <laughs> like Prometheus that asks more questions than it answers, well, which, you know, I, again, I get when you're kind of restarting a franchise. Yeah, but, I, I agree. I agree with you because I think the, those are two, uh, two of my biggest uh, complaints about this movie are with uh, plot elements that just seem to kind of come out of nowhere. So the one is, is the lightsaber being uh, with Maz Kanata, uh, you know, in, in her place for no particular reason at all. Uh, there's the lightsaber and I'm and I'm like oh okay no I can understand I can I can forgive you know because it's already been slightly established that um I think no no never mind I uh, I can I can kind of forgive you know that you know the the force is is kind of uh almost like beckoning the uh, her to the lightsaber you know but the fact that it's there you know the the fact that it's there and uh, it, it's just so convenient. Just seems to just be there for the sake of progressing the plot along. Also, R two D two waking up at that time uh, out of nowhere once again. You know, once again, just seems like something to say. Oh, we need something to progress the plot along. Okay, let's have R two D two wake up and have the rest of the map. You know, and and to me that that's almost unforgivable from a storytelling perspective. You know, uh, because it, it, it there's nothing that establishes or has been established earlier that uh, would, would make you be able to say, Oh, okay. You know, um, almost even uh, Poe being, uh, you know, dispatched early in the film and then coming back later. uh, I'm like, all right. You know, I was able to gloss over that more than I was those Mm. other two things, you know? So those are the two biggest issues I have with the film. Obviously it doesn't ruin the movie for me, uh, it, it's just something you know. I was racking my brain about: Are there anything? Is there anything like that in the uh, the original trilogy that is of of like the same level, uh, equal to to that kind of storytelling? I, I I can't think of anything. I can't think of anything in the original trilogy that is like it just an element to progress the plot along, and and that's it. It, it. There's something that is either earned or been established, you know. Mm. And I was like, wow, that that is that is strange. You know, it, it almost seems like there are a couple elements that are cut out of this film. You know, that might 
uh, offers. I, I had the same feeling. Yeah, I'm like, is there is there going to be like you know, The Hobbit and Lord of the Rings? Is there going to be an extended edition? Which I mean, is kind of ri- which is kind of ridiculous in in yeah. something like this because, you know, you're not dealing with with um, pre written material. You know, an adapted material. You're writing a brand new story. Right. So I, I was like, I don't know. It, it seemed really odd to me. Wally, it, it, yeah, oh, it did feel like there were pieces that were missing. Yeah. I, I would agree. Yeah, yeah. Wally, Anthony, Ed? Well, as far as like the lightsaber being with uh, Maz Kanata, uh, R2-D2 is also there. And R2-D2 is last seen carrying Luke Skywalker's lightsaber around in Return of the Jedi. Well, he shoots he, it out of his head. Yeah, so and it, gives it's it, it, if he that Luke Skywalker would have a lightsaber in, would, there'd be a lightsaber in the R2 unit still. I I don't get I, I don't understand R2 the connection. R two is there. The, the lightsaber would also be there. Well, supposedly this this lightsaber that Maz has is the one that Luke lost at the end of Empire. Exactly because that this this one in Force Awakens is blue. Remember the one that he tossed was tossed up in Return of the Jedi was green. It was a brand green. new lightsaber. So it was different different hilt too. Yeah, All right, that doesn't make any sense then because that that falls down the freaking shaft in Bespin. Exactly, exactly. Mm. So it, so yeah, it, it's it. Obviously, maybe I don't know. Maybe it's, it is going to explain. I, I I assume it's going to be explained in the next movie. But that's something that, from a storytelling perspective, also from established how you've established storytelling in previous Star Wars films, should not be allowed in this movie. Agreed. I'll, I'll give you that. I, I always I just like now you point out it's a, it was a different you know different blade, different hilt, and stuff like that. I didn't pick up on it until you just mentioned it. Yeah. Because um, that that makes sense because it was a green saber in in um, in Jedi. Yeah. Um, where's that going with this? Uh, while you think about that, Hermano, anything to add? I had a theory on the whole lightsaber thing being with that, um, um, what was their name? Maz, Maz Kanata. <laughs> yeah. Um, I, I think it was one of those, like, kind of like the, like JJ Abrams likes to do the mystery box thing. And, and, and he's definitely, they definitely trying to set up like this, this like overarching like mystery to the film kind of like the the whole mystery of like who luke's father was and how no one ever came out and really told him much about his father only like bits and pieces Mm -hmm. and i feel like this that's this movie's way of doing the bits and pieces thing where you know somehow she she came across this lightsaber and, and when she's asked about it she just says you know that's a story for another time or something like that and the way that the ray's character reacts to it and how she has like the one moment in the movie where it actually goes it kind of goes into like a montage of flashbacks and you see, you know, shots of Luke and, you know, uh, the Kylo Ren character and kind of, you know, you see little bits and pieces of what he's done and maybe even a little piece of her history when she was young. And it seems like she's dropped off on this planet. Like I'm wondering if one of the big reveals in this film, and I I don't, I even almost don't want to say this because it it could be spoiler for other films, but it's just a theory. (laughs) Yeah. Theories Uh, are not spoilers. So I just go theory. Uh, Is it possible that she could be related to Luke? Like maybe his daughter. Right. And that's, that's why she has such a strong reaction to the lightsaber. I agree. I I agree. I think there is a relation uh, to one of the Skywalkers at the very least, you know, Uh, but you know, who knows, who knows, but um Mark, what what about performances? Uh, you know, in this film, uh, or even robot performances? What do you think of BB-8 and whatnot, and, and all the other characters? Oh, he was great. Uh, you know, of course, my kids uh, loved him quite a bit, and uh, he very great design. I mean, one of the best designs of the um, you know of, of the film, and you know where they're running and he's he's rolling. I mean, he he was great. Um, I 
I thought the the acting overall was solid, if unspectacular. If that makes sense. Would so. you even say so with Harrison Ford? Because honestly, mm. you know, I got to tell you, it, it, you know, for someone who doesn't want to be in this franchise anymore and probably didn't really uh, want to be in it much to begin with uh, in the first three. Um, his him being able to slip right back into character was kind of amazing to me. Pretty, pretty amazing. Yeah, I, I'm, I'm with you. I'm with you. You know, even I think Harrison Ford at times has been you know kind of a disinterested actor from from a certain movie to certain movie. I think there's other, uh, you know, you can you can point to other movies like The Fugitive where I think he really delves into that character. But you know, I I think you know the the first three Indiana Jones movies, he does a great job of inhabiting mm-hmm. that character and. For all of its flaws in, in uh, uh, of the Crystal Skull, I think he sometimes does his best job of trying to uh, reignite <laughs> that character as well. Uh, but sure. I'm I was kind of amazed at how great of a job he did in this. Yeah, it took a little getting used to him yeah. uh, in that character again. I I think I had these uh, aspirations for him as a different character that he wasn't going to slip back into the smuggler mode. He was going to be the you know General Solo of. Uh, you know, episode six, Return of, the Jet, Return of the Jedi, and Carrie Fisher was going to be there with him. And, you know, getting back into that character took me a little bit. But I, I agree. I think he did a, a you know, bang-up job. Um, I, I do think, I mean, you mentioned Daisy Ridley. She was, I thought, stood out as the best actress, actor in this the entire film. Mm. Um, I did think Domhnall Gleeson was the worst. Oh, well, no, Hawks. okay. <laughs> I, I kind of... You know, at first I was taken aback, but then I realized what he was doing. He was turning it up to eleven uh, <laughs> on the ham meter, and I was like, "This, this I, is this I'd is." I'd say con- I'd say he was turning up to uh, seventeen. Yeah, it was, uh, I was. I didn't like that scene at all. I, I was kind of like, "I'm buying into what he's selling me." <laughs> <laughs> Tim's in the theater raising his fist with the stormtroopers. <laughs> oh, I don't know. 2015. I mean, for me, I didn't really like him in Ex Machina either. He's, oh, uh, I've liked him in other films, but not this year. Wow. Well. No. Uh, yeah. Wally, anything about the performances in this movie? I thought the performances were great. I really loved Oscar Isaac's character. Sure, like, mm. his the his was the character that I really got into. I was like, oh, I want more of this guy. This yeah, guy's he's awesome. Like, he's like Wedge Antilles uh, of the you know, the original <laughs> uh, trilogy. Yeah, yeah. So I was excited to see him, and like I loved how his character was played, like how he played his character out. And uh, when I when you see him again, I was like, I was like, oh man, it'd be so cool if he was like a fucking clone. Oh no, it's the same guy. <laughs> All right, I'll give it a pass. I get to see this guy again. Like this guy's still pretty fucking cool in my book. Um, really happy. That, like I had my geek out moment in the theater when you see Han Solo bust into the uh, the Falcon. Sure. And he's like, I was like, yeah. <laughs> yeah. yes. <laughs> yep. And then uh, you know, obviously Mark, you know, hit it on the head when you know about uh, why am I forgetting his name now? <laughs> Dom Gleason or. No, Han Solo. I not want to be part oh, of Harrison Ford. Ford? Yeah. Harrison Ford. For some reason, I keep thinking George, I'm thinking George Harrison. Then I went to George Lucas. <laughs> <Anyway>. <laughs> uh, Harrison Ford, not you know, not wanting to be a part of the series anymore. So I mean, I knew that was coming a mile away. Mm-hmm. I thought they might pull a swerve, especially when they wounded Chewbacca oh, earlier yeah. on. Yeah. That they were going to kill him off because he dies in the extended universe. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, apparently uh, that they're just. Uh, dismissing most of the extended it's, it's universe, all that out. Yeah. yeah. So I, but I thought, I thought once you, because like the whole crowd had a real visceral reaction to Chewie getting wounded. Because you hear, you get to, he's like, yeah. And you're like, everyone, like everyone, kind of like went, you know, to, to to see that happen. So I thought they were gonna do that, or that Chewie was gonna, you know, blow the whole place up along with himself because you know he had no more Han Solo to hang out with. Um, but I mean, I, I thought all the performances were great. Adam Driver. 
the only thing I could the, the only the complaint was like the Kylo Ren voice, like when he's got the helmet on. There are some parts I couldn't make out, like while he was mm. talking, because hmm. of the distortion effect they used on the you know from the mask. Um, that's more of a technical more of a technical issue than anything else. Um, everything else, everything else I thought was 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 pretty great. You know about as as, like, uh, about, about Adam Driver and Ky- the Kylo Ren character. I think one of the best parts. I was kind of taken aback, and I was thinking about it. I think a little too bit too much that was distracting me from the film. I was like. Holy crap! They're turning the tables, and and it, there's a character that is being drawn to the light and not the dark. And I was like, "Holy crap! That is an amazing script turn to be able to do that." Where he's by himself, staring at the charred remains of the helmet of Darth Vader, wanting to be on the dark side. And I'm like, "That is amazing! That's a great mirror for for the other uh, the other films." I'm like, "I love this! I love that he wants to be on the dark side. He's being drawn to the light." And I'm like, "Oh my god! That is such a unique and, and just a great job by Kasdan and 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 um, and the rest of the crew to uh, you know to be able to to write something like that. I would have never thought of anything like that. What about you, Hermano? Um, I liked all the performances overall. I thought, you know, Johnny Boyega for me stole a lot of the scenes he was in. You know, our boy Moses from Attack the Block. <laughs> uh, it was great to see him in this film. And, and you know, I, I was there was a little concern for me with you know these characters. I wasn't really familiar with them except for you know Oscar Isaac a little bit and uh, Johnny Boyega from Attack the Block. But I didn't know anything about Daisy Ridley. So, but I mean, I, th- I thought they all knocked it out of the park. I mean, like I said earlier, I, I kind of liked all of them almost instantly. Uh, I thought the BB-8 character was great. That little thumbs-up scene with Johnny Boyega was the only time I laughed in the theater, and it got like a good size laugh <laughs> from me. Like I'm not a guy that laughs out loud a lot, like in, when I'm watching a movie. Because you hate fun. No, I don't hate fun. I I like good fun, but I hate it when it's forced. <laughs> um, so as far as the Adam Driver character, I, I, you know what? He was probably the biggest concern for me because I'm not a big fan of girls. I've only ever seen him, I think, in one other film. And he was just kind of playing a, a schmoozy hipster guy. So <laughs> I, I, I was kind of concerned. That, could this guy pull off a convincing, like, bad guy? Like, is he going to be, like, you know, I, as small a role as, like, Darth Maul had, I think he's always been kind of a memorable bad guy from mm. a, a pretty mediocre film overall. And I, I thought he was pretty solid. I mean, you, you, you kind of hate him almost instantly. You, you, you get across the feelings I think the movie wants you to feel. Like, he's kind of almost like a spoiled child in a way, the way he reacts yeah. to bad news. He just kind of flies off the handle. He seems very undisciplined and you kind of get that from like, you know, story elements where, you know, he hasn't been fully trained. So he's a little brash and, you know, it's fully cemented with that scene with Han Solo, you know, and, and finding out that, you know, he's Han Solo and, and, oh, and Leia's son. How about that reveal like that. of, of him calling out Ben? I, when he called, when he said the name Ben, I was yeah. like, holy shit. You know, talk about being flooded with emotions. I was like, oh my God, there's so much history there, you know? Yes. Yeah. yeah. By just a name, perfect. by just a name, there's so much history there. That's so, but that's such a great job of world building right there by just having, just having that feeling of, of one name called out, you know? Yeah. Um, yeah. You know, one another disappointing thing for me was a wasted character of Captain Phasma. Oh, oh my, my god. god. Yes. It's total reveal. <laughs> and, and and as a side note, now I'm assuming Captain Phasma is dead because it seems to me that they threw her into a trash compactor and then blew the planet up. You would think, but you I, never see her escape the trash she, compactor. She's uh, supposedly going to come back. I would hope so because this character, she did nothing yeah. outside of like reprimand John Boyega, yeah. uh, 
give us situation report and then get captured. Yeah. Um, wasn't it a little reminiscent though of kind of like a Boba Fett style, like, like death a little bit. Like I, I always remember like, you know, Boba Fett being badass and stuff like that. But when you go back and watch the movies, he literally does nothing in any of the no, movies. Boba Fett doesn't do anything. He's not a good bounty hunter. And, and he's dispatched so easily. Like, you know, and I felt like it was kind you of know, supposed to be that type of character in this film where looks badass, but ultimately does nothing. Well, Wally, Wally, he is technically a good bounty hunter because he did get catch them and get the, the Empire to... Uh, Han Solo and the rest of the crew. It's just ultimately his He's fate. He's a lucky bounty hunter. <laughs> He's a lucky. Okay. He's the New England Patriots of bounty oh, hunters. Okay. Oh. All right. Anyways, Wait, moving. I, on. I don't think he was that involved. I mean, he just happened to be at Cloud City. When, <laughs> exactly. When they show up, like, he, no, he, he followed. Them, he followed remember? them to he Cloud followed, City. He yeah. But, yeah. Anyways, um, he doesn't actively do anything to capture them. <laughs> I, I just wanted to mention too. Yeah. I, I think you guys are are, are spot on with uh, Adam Driver. I, I was a little bit concerned with him and the Kylo Ren character. And I, I, I would say I would echo what my son said, where he said he liked Kylo Ren better with his mask on. Um, <laughs> I thought my my son aptly put that, but um, that's not completely true because I he is the most compelling character uh, in this entire. Um, movie, I think. I mean, for as good as Daisy Ridley is uh, and what her backstory may be, uh, because he's such a, basically a petulant child uh, who is, you know, trying to live up to his grandfather. He's, uh, he has an uncle who is, you know, the number one Jedi in the galaxy. And you see him um, just as a, a, a tortured individual who's trying, he's like, you know, trying to act tough, um, but is is torn between both the light and the dark side. I mean, this this movie it just shows again with his character and his relationship to uh, his mother and father and other characters how this this saga really is about family. Yeah, family um, and and mythos know. too. You know, because yes. it, it's yeah. not just the. See, it's kind of a meta movie because you have these new characters uh, being introduced to this mythos and being aware of the myth of these characters of these the from the original trilogy and. And it's also the the screenwriters and the the audience uh, being aware of the myth of these characters as well, you know. And also, you know, the new people coming into this movie uh, for the first time, like your your children, Mark, you know, uh, aware of the myth of these characters. And and so the 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 meta ness of this this script in this movie is kind of interesting. Mm. You know? Yeah, I, I I would agree. What, what did you guys think of? Um the uh, character we haven't talked about who was played um, by uh, Supreme Being or Supreme, what's his name? Supreme <laughs> Leader Snoke. 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 Yeah, Andy Serkis. Uh, played by Andy Serkis, thank you. Yeah. Uh, you know what? Especially like Gollum. <laughs> <laughs> well, to, to, yeah. to me, you know, it's one of those elements that is sequel baiting because, yes. you know, uh, I don't know, it's it's... It's reminiscent, of course, of Empire Strikes Back, you know, mm-hmm. of the Emperor talking to Vader via hologram. But, you know, in that movie, you already have an established history and you're like, OK, I know there's more to come, you know, and that's fine. Uh, in this movie, eh, I, I, you know, we, obviously we all know technically there's more to come. But, you know, that also kind of ties into how this movie ends the last shot of this film. I, I honestly wish the la- the end of this movie was um, Ray walking towards the millennium falcon and that's it i i honestly wish it didn't end with her going to the planet and finding uh um luke skywalker 
that was my biggest disappointment in the film. I felt like that entire thing was such a huge cock tease. Like <laughs> the entire film, they're like, where's Luke? Where's Luke? Where's Luke? Where's Luke? And then the last shot of the film, you see her walking up. And I'm thinking like, uh, there's like, no time. Oh, there's there's going to be like, you know, a conversation, something yeah. like there's nothing, just a look. And, and I'm like, oh my God, it kind of ended slightly on a down note for me ending that way. I kind of agree with you, Tim. I kind of wished it. It ended almost like, you know, A New Pope ended where it almost feels like it's a, a standalone film. Right, right. Uh, Wally? Um, I mean, I have no problem with the Enix. I mean, you know that there's going to be more coming. Um, really, the only thing that I, the, the character that people are loving that I really have cannot come around to is Ray's character. Really? Hmm. I hate Swiss Army Knife characters. I fucking oh, hate them. Oh, boy. So... All right, so she's a scavenger. Okay, cool. She's got the little the jet bike. Cool. Suddenly can pilot the Millennium Falcon, downloads the entirety of the Force, and now is like this like a super Luke. <laughs> like I hate that shit. Like there, there are some issues with that, that especially like, the fight with her with Kylo Ren at the end. Yeah, she's like all of a sudden like a like a, a saber wielding wizard against someone who's had you know tons of formal training. She had a, she's had a staff. A staff isn't is nowhere close to being like a sword. In the way you handle it, I honestly have no issues with her character at all. I think that they've they, they establish that there's something there with within her, uh, you know, uh, with her ability to to use and comprehend the force. I think they establish the fact that she's a very resourceful person for what twenty years she's uh, she's on this planet needing uh, uh, find resources for herself. Obviously, uh, figuring out uh, how things work and and uh, I, I I really have no issues. At yeah, all. I'm kind of with Tim on this. Like, I mean, she's pretty resourceful even when she doesn't have a saber in her hand. I mean, she's she's able to fight off those two guys uh, in the in Jakku or whatever. Um, you know, without much you know effort. Um, and and there's also I kind of agree with Tim too. It it almost feels like there's something locked away in her, like almost like she has a form of amnesia where she has like these memories and she can't quite put it all together, but you almost feel like she, she does have some sort of training, which is kind of why I had that theory of like, maybe she's like Luke's daughter or something like that. And maybe he had started training her, but never finished and had to hide her away for some reason. Um, you know, again, just a theory. I hope I'm not like crushing someone's, <laughs> uh, you know, movie experience when it, you know the second one comes out or whatever but i did have another theory if you guys want to hear it well, bring it let's hear it okay so this one's maybe a little more far-fetched but i i felt it a little bit with the way the scene played out which is with the the kylo ren harrison ford um i'm, I'm sorry han solo scene where he seems really conflicted about something he needs to do i felt like that 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 scene could have been read two ways. Uh, one is, you know, literally like the way I think the movie intends you to, or wants you to, to look at it, which is that he's conflicted by the light and the dark side. And he's, he's being pulled in two different directions. And he ultimately has to do something that he feels like, you know, the dark side is pulling him a little stronger. Like, and he has to kill his father. But in another sense, I felt like, is it possible that he's potentially, or intentionally joining the dark side, almost as if to infiltrate it. And because Snoke seems to, you know, be clued into the fact that, you know, he has a little light side in him. And maybe this is his way of like, this is the only way he can fully infiltrate it is if he does something this drastic. That um, makes no, sense. Because, I mean, I could see someone like Kylo Ren becoming like 
like a Magneto persona, like in like a later movie, uh, where uh, like okay. this, you know, the, the odds are suddenly stacked against them. Enter Kylo Ren as a good guy with that crazy saber of his. Um, I, honestly, for me, I, I I can see where that theory comes from, but I don't know if I can buy into it because I, I think from a storytelling perspective, they they might go with a, a a mirroring of the original trilogy in which you know somebody uh is starts out on the dark side or trying to be on the dark side and is drawn to the light eventually by the end and i think he'll even survive by the end uh uh and i don't know i i just i just think that uh i, I maybe it's just my idealistic nature of not wanting that to 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 happen you know to have it's almost like seem to be forced into position of of killing you know that's almost like a dumbledore moment you know of a uh, snape dumbledore mm. moment you know yeah. uh so i don't know i don't know that 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 it is pretty bold it is pretty bold but i don't know what about you mark yeah, it could be i mean I, I hadn't i hadn't thought of that there's a lot of other <laughs> things i thought <laughs> of like i actually originally thought ray was going to be uh kylo ren's sister that's what uh, i thought i think they're twins yeah. Yeah, because it, it was it was written. There's a lot of parallels with this movie with a lot of the expanded universe, which I've read more than I should, and I'm not planning on reading more. And it's it does feel a little bit like a uh, one of the novels because or, a lot of the novels, I should say, because they keep coming back to the Death Star. You know, some some new baddie that's you know risen and taken over the Empire, and there's some new uh, planet destroying or big laser device. You know, so it, it felt like that. And uh, so I would, I mean, I would love to see something different like that, um, something out of the ordinary. It's what I loved about Empire in that it was so different in tone and execution than A New Hope. Um, so, you know, the famili- familiarity with this film, I think it's it's great. I really enjoyed it quite a bit. I just, I, I think that we got what we expected from Abrams. And I, I feel like I'm hoping I'm placing my bets with Ryan Johnson as being someone that can kind of shake oh, it up a little bit. Oh yeah. Maybe Ag- do something agree. like that. You know, yeah. he's writing and directing the next one and he's also writing episode nine, even though Colin Trevorrow's directing it, he's, he's still writing that next one, which is amazing to me. Amazing. Yeah. Um, what about like favorite moments? You know, are there any moments in here that you're like, Oh my God, or really stuck out or you just really liked Mark? Boy, um, I I loved. Okay, I love the uh, the early in the scene the uh, blaster bolt that's held. Sure, I think that's great. We've never seen anything like that in any of the. I mean, it's just a small moment, but the things that you didn't see in past, um, you know, trilogies, I, something like that. Um, I thought uh, Snoke is a, a compelling character to me. Interested to see where he's going to go from there. Um, I thought the 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 forest and the snow battles uh fight scenes where they're a great location although they are a little bit you know overused um and i i do think that um all of the the space but i thought the stealing of the tie fighter was great uh tie fighters are awesome they sound awesome the black ones are great and i i think abrams got the ships right he went back to the um the star destroyers he went to the x-wings and the tie fighters he got the best of the you know the original trilogy so he um you know grabbed uh, all of those so I I and I, I love the fact just a little thing where uh, Kylo Ren's lightsaber is rough looking, um, you know it's it's not this squeaky clean lightsaber. Yes, it is a you know it looks like a sword, but it kind of it almost looks like it's it's falling apart. Um, I just I, I like that kind of you know getting back to the the used uh, rough nature of the um, you know the the universe that he he builds here. 
Well, yeah, the look yeah. of this film, the, the the look is amazing. You know how obviously there was a lot of care, a lot of care taken mm-hmm. into how much practical effects are used. You know, and location, uh, uh, you know, taken, you know, scouting of locations and whatnot. Um, and set building, and uh, it's, it's amazing how lived in and real this world or these worlds look, you know? Oh, yeah. It, it brings back the space battles, too. I mean, the, the chase scene sure. through the uh, the Star Destroyer, uh, we knew that was going to be great. I was going to, yeah, I was going to say that's one of my first very favorite moments, you know? Yeah. I, I, I thought that was just so thrilling the way it was mm-hmm. shot, the way it, it unfolded, away. Uh, it was so, so good, so good. Yeah. Um, yeah. You know, another moment for me, I think, was the Ray Kylo Ren saber fight in which how it begins you know uh in which you see the force being used to grab the the saber but it goes past him and into her hands and that that moment oh man i got chills you know i got chills and i was like i even got a little emotional at that moment i was like oh Hmm. wow that's so great that's so great (laughs) um yeah and and you know just that little thing also just before that where um uh, finn is fighting him and and Kylo Ren uses that tip of the 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 flame on the side of his saber to to burn his shoulder. You know, mm. uh, that was really well done because it's a great use of of, of a practical element of his saber. You know, yeah, uh, yeah. The, there's there's a lot of great stuff. The the moment uh, uh, at uh, Maz Kanata's uh, you know temple or whatever. You know, with the, during the the dog fights. You know when. Finn is is running around and and is witnessing uh, Poe, you know, take down a bunch of things. You know, it looked like a a, a true dog fighting, uh, you know, spectacle. So, yeah, I, I could have actually used. I hate to say more flashback, but you know, well, there was just so so many questions asked in this movie. I could have used uh, a, a little bit more. I would have loved uh, more info. But again, we're we're building for future films. Yeah. So. What what about you, Hermano? Any moments? I think my favorite action set piece was the discovery of the Millennium Falcon yeah. and the, the, the action set piece that took place after that with them trying to learn how to fly it and <laughs> flying it all through the desert and through the, the destroyer and stuff like that. I thought that was amazing, amazingly well done. Um, again, you know, the lightsaber battle towards the end I thought was pretty well done too um, with it switching from Johnny Boyega's character to Daisy Ridley. Um, I loved, the, you know, the little, just little moments like the little thumbs up from BB-8. Uh, was I thought it was wicked funny. Um, in I mean, obviously, the moment that killed me the most I thought was really well set up. Even though you could just see it coming from a mile away, was the the bridge scene with Kylo Ren and and Han Solo. I I, I it was like the perfect setting. I mean, a bridge with no railings. Speaking, just, you speaking, know, someone's gonna fall. Speaking of that, did you get uh, how Kylo Ren's name is constructed? What do you mean? So. Kylo is spelled K-Y-L-O, L-O as in the end of Solo, and K-Y as in uh, Skywalker. Oh, I never put that together. Hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Um, the more you know. <laughs> <laughs> Did you guys pick up on some of the cameos in this film? Uh, other than Daniel Craig? Uh, Daniel Craig who, who, being who that Who was Daniel trooper. Craig? Was he the, which one was he? He was the, the stormtrooper that Daisy Ridley, uh, Daisy Ridley uses the Jedi mind trick on. Oh, okay. Oh, okay. Um, and did you guys notice the guy from the raid? I did both yeah. of them. Yeah, yeah. You know, I that's was, that, I, I didn't know they were in this. I I was like, I know this guy. That, was, like, that was in the when he releases those uh, those creatures, right? Yeah, that, that scene. Yeah, so that scene is interesting too because it, it, it's very familiar to the uh, inserted special edition scene of of uh, Jabba, you know, meeting Han Solo, also combined with Greedo, you know. Uh, so. 
um, you know that although that the, that scene of course plays out much better in this film I, you know <laughs> ultimately uh, I, I think it's a, a great um, character reintroduction you know to for Han Solo um, what about you Wally any any moments that stand out um, probably the, the moment the moment that made me laugh the most is when Kylo Ren is going batshit in that room by himself <laughs> and he's cutting everything up and you see the stormtroopers walk, marching toward and they see a bunch of shit fly out the door and they're like nope and they go turn around. walking in the opposite turn around opposite direction um uh, that 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 cracked me up like you wouldn't believe. Uh, trying to think of some other ones that were that were pretty good. Uh, you know, BB-8 giving the thumbs up. Um, the 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 you know the the way Daniel Craig did that whole I'm gonna drop my weapon and just you know, walks <laughs> off. <laughs> uh, as far as like other like you know great moments, I, I think the other one that like I was like really excited for um, was when the uh, the the Republic they're pinned down by the Tie Fighters. And then the backup shows up, and you just see like the like the long distance shot. You see in the distance, you just see the water just being kicked up by the engines of the yeah, X-wing it's like, fighters. It's like the cavalry showing up. Yeah, like you're like, oh, here they come! Here comes the backup! Woohoo! <laughs> and here they are, the X-wings. Yeah. And uh, I know people were complaining that you know it's still X-wings and Tie fighters, uh, but it's only thirty years in the future. Um, so spaceship technology might not have been made you know those kind of jumps. You know, you might see, you might hopefully see some new ships in like the next coming series and they may, you know, upgrade and do different, you know, fighter ships and, and whatnot in, as the, as the movies progress. But, um, I thought that was, that was pretty cool. Cause like you knew, like, you know, you're going to see the, the rest of the stuff that you've been wanting to see, like, Oh, here come the X-Wings now. Yeah, I agree. So, uh, I mean, is there any last things to mention before we grade this? Um, the fact that it's set 30 years, in the future and only 30 years in the future and that people are like we thought this was a myth like it just happened it didn't well, happen that no, long ago well no you also have to imagine jack who who knows how far away that is from other planets that all and systems that this happened in you know so you know and there were battles obviously with uh with those crashed uh star destroyers and the tipped over uh, uh ATATs and uh you know so these people weren't involved in all this stuff, so there's a lot of myth, uh, you know, myth building and and word of mouth that gets around that you're not witnessing all this stuff. So of course, I can totally believe that the, that people would would see these as as mythical people, you know. Yeah, I would agree. Uh, what about you, Hermano? Any, any last things to to mention? No, I, I think I've pretty much said everything I wanted to say about the film. I mean, I enjoyed it thoroughly. I just, I really want to see it a second time more than most movies that are coming out. (laughs) (laughs) What about you, Mark? Well, I guess it's almost a question, but um, I had, I still have concerns and I look forward to seeing it again, like Hermano said, because the scope of this film just seems smaller. The threat doesn't seem as dire in this film somehow as it does in uh, a new hope. And, you know, the, the stories are so similar. I'm still wrestling with that. And it just seems like, you know, the scenes at the end where they're waiting to be destroyed, just go that much quicker. And I, I think there's more, I've heard people say too many close-ups. There's a lot of tight shots, whereas, you know, star Wars, a new hope kind of took its time and it was, you know, a lot of longer shots, which is you know, more seventies, you know, it just had that 1970s film feel to it. And I, I, I don't know what it is, but I, I just felt like 
Um, in some instances, it didn't quite feel like a Star Wars film. And that could be to its credit, right? I mean, it could be com doing something completely new. Um, I may grow to, to love that aspect of it. But I, I found an article from the New York Post where they were actually talking about how they missed the prequels. Um, and they couldn't believe that they would say something like that. But they said how those three films felt like honest-to-goodness Star Wars entries, you know, despite the, sort, the shortcomings. Um, they used mythology, gravitas, nonstop momentum, and unwavering earnestness. I think it's the earnestness maybe that was missing a bit. But um, with this, just the it talks about how it's um, more slight, self-aware, low stakes uh, with an excessive number of close-ups. I, I think that's the piece I have the biggest trouble with. We just, we needed more of the, the scale of this. And again, this might be something we'll see more in the um, future films. And it may be something that I'll grow to love because it's different. You know, it, it's telling this on a, maybe a, a smaller scale, but um, I don't know. I just, I didn't feel like you had a, a sense of the scope of, these, you know, these new factions like the Republic and the Resistance and um, the the First Order, you know, you've got pieces, but it just didn't. It felt like a kind of a, a smaller movie, if that makes sense. Fair enough. So, what grade would you give it? I, all right, I'll, I guess I'll I'll give it a, a, barring additional viewings, I would certainly, like you said, it stoked the fire, Tim. I'll give it an A minus. Walter. I'm going to give it a super strong B+. Plus. It's on the cusp of that A-. minus. Hmm. Hermano. I will give it an A. Yeah, I would give it an A- minus as well. I think there's just those, like I said earlier, those two, um, I don't know, those, those two uh, key story plot elements that just uh, kind of come out of left field. So You really felt like the, like Mark was kind of touching on, you really felt like the hand of J.J. Abrams on this, at least I did. Like it really felt like reminiscent of some of his other films, like the Star Trek ones, and with especially with the, the comedic stuff, like really fast-paced, quick uh, cut comedy uh, elements, and just the way it, it, the action and stuff like that, it just really felt reminiscent of some of his other films. So I wonder, like, I'm really interested to see if they're going to keep that pace and that feel to it uh, going to different directors. Uh, yeah. Well, you, with Ryan Johnson, he is, he is not someone who rushes, you know, uh, a, a, the pace of his film. He's very rather methodical, I think in his storytelling. Yeah. So that's why yeah. I'm really interested to see like, if they're going to force him to kind of mimic JJ Abrams, or they're going to give him kind of carte blanche. They're giving him a lot of time, you know, uh, the, what was it like? earlier was it earlier this year or was it last i think it was last year uh that it was last year yeah that they announced it yeah so or, he's, early last year he's probably been writing the script since then i actually no it's true because he, he they started shooting this week i think you know uh so yeah it's it's, it's crazy it's crazy What? What the? Where did this piano come from? Hi, guys! You want to explain this? It's a piano. What else did you need to explain? What's it doing here? Nothing. But did you know that the piano is a percussion instrument? What does that have to do with anything? 
Nothing. It's just fun. a fun fact next time you're playing bar trivia. A better question is, how does this help our predator problem? Glad you asked! Do I want to know? Well, he's not here yet. But you know what podcast is always a great surprise? The In Session Film Podcast. That's right, son. The In Session Film Podcast is JD and Brendan. And each week they choose a movie to review. And then create a top three list based on what they just saw. And this week, the In Session Film Podcast is reviewing the long-awaited Star Wars The Force Awakens. And a top three list of favorite Star Wars moments. You can find their show on uh, iTunes by searching for, you guessed it, the In Session Film Podcast. Or you can find them on the web at InSessionFilm.com. So if you're in the mood for some great movie podcast discussion you, to get you through the holidays, then check out the In Session Film Podcast on iTunes. Or on the web at InSessionFilm.com. Ha-ha! He's here! Who's here? Is that Randy Newman? You bet it is! You got a friend in me. You got a friend in me. Okay, now it is time for our monthly installment of Mark Herney's Criterion 101. This is where Mark indulges us with his extensive love and knowledge of the Criterion Collection. Mark, the Criterions are strong with you. <laughs> yes, they are. From Star Wars to Criterion, it's it's quite the uh, the transition. Um, so I'll, I'll keep it short. We did talk about Star Wars a little longer, and uh, w- this episode will go up just before Christmas. But uh, so I just wanted to mention there's a couple of box sets out there that you'd be well worth your while to pick up from Criterion before or after Christmas. Uh, they just came out. Um, they're from Costco has had them in the past for about 55 bucks. They're $75 on the Criterion site. Um, if you're looking for a good entry point, you want to get a, a few movies at a time. These are perfect. So the first one is uh, it's the rock box. It's called uh, includes music based movies from Criterion. So it's got a hard day's night uh, with the Beatles. It's got the Monterey pop 
Festival, Blu-ray, directed by D.A. Pennebaker, uh, Gimme Shelter, the documentary with uh, the Rolling Stones, of course, and uh, Quadrophenia, which is actually a film, um, well, I should say a fiction film featuring the music by The Who. So you can get all, all four of those movies in one box set uh, for 75 bucks, and you know, if you have a Costco membership, you can check that out. The other one is uh, Classic Hitchcock, another great set, includes some older films from him, The Man Who Knew Too Much, 39 Steps, The Lady Vanishes, and uh, Foreign Correspondent. Um, so if you're looking to delve into some Hitchcock, these are a great place to start. Those are probably not as well known by most people. They're not. No, exactly. And it, it, that's why it's, you know, it's cl- classic Hitchcock, mostly uh, his films from the 30s when he was uh, still working in England. Um, so a couple of, you know, spy thrillers, uh, exhilarating railway mystery, Lady Banishes is great. Uh, and I haven't seen the foreign correspondent. That's one more about journalistic intrigue. But, I've heard a lot yeah. about the 39 steps within the past couple of years as being a really good one. It is. Yeah, I it's uh, it's one I, I need to revisit, but they're they're great. Man Who Knew Too Much stars Peter Laurie. So, yeah, I mean, it's a great place to if you if you you've watched later Hitchcock, you know, like what's well, not really later, but, you know, his well-known period like, um, you know, of course, Rear Window and Vertigo and Psycho. Uh, if you're looking to step back into something else, this is a great place to go. So a couple box sets. And, uh, you know, December is a light month, obviously, with a holiday. So I'm just going to um, let folks know what was released. And, uh, you know, I just I like to call things that are interesting about these releases, why you might want to check them out. So earlier this month, we got a downhill racer. It's a Blu-ray upgrade. Um, so it's our, this was already from Criterion. And this is uh, it's a Michael Ritchie directed film, his first film. He also directed Fletch, The Golden Child and the Bad News Bears. So it it um, is about a, well, it, I should say it features astonishing Alpine location photography and a young Robert Redford, uh, one of his earliest <laughs> starring roles. Uh, also stars Gene Hackman. And uh, so it really it's breathtaking, fast and furious imagery that places the viewer directly in the mind of the competitor per Criterion. So I'm looking forward to check that one out. Hmm. Um, unfortunately, I haven't seen any of the this month's releases. So, but that sounds interesting. That's from, uh, it's a 1969 film that definitely <laughs> sounds like a 70s film. Hmm. <laughs> um, the, we also got, we got the third Harold Lloyd film in the collection called Speedy. Uh, he, we also have Safety Last and The Freshman there. Uh, if you're a fan of Charlie Chaplin or Buster Keaton, uh, Harold Lloyd is someone to check out. So uh, this is a stacked release from them. Lots of supplements on this one. So uh, including a selection of uh, Lloyd's home movies um, and, uh, and, and bumping into Broadway, a 1919 Lloyd two reeler. So if you like silent films, uh, and I, I know you guys have delved into those a little bit, uh, he's certainly worth checking out. Uh, you, jellyfish. You, you yeah. I just want to say you might see a silent film mini marathon next year at some point. Ooh, nice. I'm going to have to check my calendar. Maybe get a guest spot on one of those. Oh, hello. <laughs> <laughs> um, the, the next one is Jellyfish Eyes. This is the most controversial release from Criterion this year and probably in many years. Uh, it's kind of been frowned upon a bit as maybe being a very slight film. But, hey, it's, 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 it's cheaper. Uh, it's from director Takashi Murakami. Uh, his only other directing credits, a Kanye West movie uh, video, Good Morning. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, he works in fine arts media, so painting and sculpture and um, – so and also in commercial media like fashion, merchandise, and animation. So 
he's, he's a popular artist. I haven't seen this film. And um, so it it is supposed to be, uh, it's pointedly set in a po- post-Fukushima world. So, yeah, it'd be interesting to check this out. It's a, a mix of animation and live action. So um, I'm not going to pass judgment until I see it. I will say my esteemed co-host, Aaron Westside, hated it the first time, but we're going to review it <laughs> in uh, huh. January and give it another look. Interesting. You know, it's one of those things, you know, obviously I haven't seen it either, but mm-hmm. uh, as you, as you can see, it's it's not critically acclaimed. A right. 34 Metascore only has a 5.4 on IMDb, and and, you know, it's one of those films that you wonder, well, why is it a Criterion release? I know. I know. Everyone's asking the same question. <laughs> yeah. And that's one thing. Isn't that one thing, like examples like this, where you'd like to know a little bit more about their selection process? Oh, yeah. Yeah. It's something they it, it's it's like the, the keys to the vault. They don't give you a lot of information there. Uh, the only thing is there, um, you know, the, there are typically someone from the Criterion collection uh, is, uh, I, I would say, champions of film whether it's an older or a new film. So if someone there champions, they can find the film elements and uh, find the supplements, then they'll, they'll get behind it and uh, release it. So um, that was called out. There was an interview earlier this year with uh, the Peter Becker, the CEO of uh, Criterion. And uh, so, you know, that's kind of, it's the only thing I could figure is someone maybe was into uh, art <laughs> and media and, uh, you know, liked this film. I don't know. Mm-hmm. Yep. <laughs> so, uh, lastly, the last one to come out is Burroughs the Movie. Uh, this is from 1983. This is the, as far as we know, the only Kickstarter-funded film to come to the collection. So it was backed by about $21,000, um, and it is filmed over the course of five years by Howard Bruckner uh, about William S. Burroughs. Uh, this actually goes back to 1983. And um, so Burroughs is um, a well-known novelist, short story writer, uh, satirist, painter, essayist, uh, spoken word performer. And he also, he has a, a connection to the Criterion Collection in that the, um, he, ha- he has the David Cronenberg directed film Naked Lunch that was uh, originally considered unfilmable. So um, yeah, little documentary to, to check out. Um, actually, I, I, yeah, it, it really, it is a documentary. So that's uh Burroughs the movie and that's it again they released everything by uh, mid-month so that's it from the Criterion Collection Isn't it strange Feels like I'm looking in the mirror What would people say If only they knew that I was part of some geneticist plan Born to be a carbon copy Hey, Wally, if you wanted to lead people away from the dark side and show them the light by having them wear items with our logo on it, where would you point them? I would say, follow this to Zazzle.com slash first time watchers. That's right. You can select from a variety of shirts and more if you visit Zazzle.com slash first time watchers. Uh, so, Mark, now that these young Jedi know where to go, they should also know that they can customize items at that store. So mm. I'll ask you this. What item will look awesome with our logo on it? Dark side mask. Dark side mask. Yeah. 
like, yeah, like well, a... you know, we've, we've got Darth Vader's mask, we've got Kylo Ren's mask, so I want a first-time watcher's dark side mask. Oh, so it'd be like a unique design. It wouldn't be a specifically a Darth Vader mask or a Kylo Ren mask. Exactly, exactly. Oh. Yeah, so, you know, so people could say, hey, I've gone over to the dark side. I listened to first-time watcher's podcast. Wow, but what if they wanted to be on the light side? Uh, then they'd have to go to the In Session Film podcast. And wow, get a wait a minute. Wait a what? minute. <laughs> wow. Mark, I don't know if we can have you on the show anymore. I'm just kidding. Hey, the dark side's more interesting. Gosh, I mean, <sighs> you know, everyone buys the, you know, the Stormtrooper and Darth Vader shirts. No one buys a Luke Skywalker shirt. I've been told so. that the dark side has cookies, too. <laughs> yeah, very good cookies. Chocolate chip cookies are, are and, great. And, and beer. Beer. Mm, beer. No, that's the true bromance cast. They're they're off to the side on Dagobah somewhere. They're in the swamps of Dagobah. (laughs) Yes. They'd be like the smugglers. They'd be like flying around in like little Corellian ships. (laughs) Smuggling beer to the masses. I see them more as like Lando Calrissian. Oh, nice. Cloud City, chilling in Cloud City. <laughs> I, I, I picture Cairo. Hey, baby, what's going on? <laughs> I guess they were him they're... and Barry wearing capes. <laughs> <laughs> I think they're just hanging out at Jabba's Palace. There you go. Just, uh, There's so many places, there. so many skeevy places they could be. Oh, my God. I just pictured Hyro wearing a slave layout. <laughs> you ain't the only one, son. <laughs> I can't see right now. Oh, boy. After that, if you, you, there's a second way that you could support us. So you can visit GoFundMe.com slash First Time Watchers. If you visit that site, you can donate any amount of money you'd like to us. Also, certain donations will allow you to get what, Walter? A t-shirt of your design done by me. So with all the Star Wars stuff going, if you wanted a Star Wars-themed t-shirt with some sort of custom artwork on it, I'd be the guy you want to talk to. You make the donation. I make the t-shirt happen. You get the T-shirt, and you were the only one to have the T-shirt. It is like your own personal lightsaber. That would be pretty awesome, actually. So not just any T-shirt, a special edition first-time watchers T-shirt. How awesome is that? So if you like the podcast you're listening to now, want to help us continue to make the show and get all of us custom-made lightsabers, please support us. Once again, that is Zazzle.com slash first-time watchers or GoFundMe.com slash first-time watchers. Okay, now it is time for yay or nay. This is the part of the show where we discuss what we have seen recently on our own, a little later in the show than normal, but Mark. Well, I wanted to mention uh, you guys reviewed Goodnight Mommy. I finally caught up with it. Yeah. So I'm going to put this right up there at this point. I think this is my favorite horror film I saw this year, if you consider it horror. Nice. Uh, yeah, I, I liked. I really liked it a lot. I thought it was a more complete film than it follows, um, ec- except for the end to an extent. Did have some issues there, but um, I I love some of the the cinematography. I thought the bloodshot eyeball scene was amazing, 
And uh, little tie-ins to I, I can't remember Walter if you'd mentioned this, but it felt a bit like Borgman. Which yes, is, the, the, you, especially yeah. especially that trailer. Watch the trailer for it, and it. In fact, that's, that was that was the reason why I got drawn to the movie in the first place. Yeah, was I yeah. was so intrigued by watching Borgman when I saw it, you know last year. I was like, oh, this looks like another one of those kind of movies. I got to see this. Yep. Yeah. Agreed. You know, and, and like you, you guys said, you can't say much about it without spoiling. But uh, I, I would say, I mean, as far as a, a theme, I just I like the mask part of it where it's almost like the face that each parent puts on in a broken relationship. Maybe if you lose uh, a spouse or uh, as part of a divorce, uh, I kind of saw that, you know, as a, as a theme early on. So, yeah. Good night, mommy. It was great. I, I liked it quite a bit. So thanks for the recommendation. Another recommendation from the first time watchers was Wild Tales that I saw. Yeah. Yeah. Yes, yes, like that quite a bit. I still have to listen to your review, but uh, yeah, six, six short stories involving distressed people, and boy, are they distressed. <laughs> <laughs> um, so yeah, I mean, again, themes of boy, life life is stressful, <laughs> and it's <laughs> it's how you deal with that stress and attitude. I think that determines your path. Um, it sounds a little bit uh, Star Wars ish, but uh, I would just say I thought my favorite was the strongest. Um, I thought that was the strongest entry, so to speak. And uh, which one was so. that again? The uh, the the driving. Um, oh yeah, okay. The road rage one. The road rage one. Yeah, that was okay. my favorite as well. Yeah, like that one quite a bit. Well, I, aside from the opening one, I thought the plane oh, thing. Yeah. While it was short, I think I liked that one the most technically. But the other one. See, that's I, that's the thing too. Is you know, I, I I talked about this on on the episode in which I don't even really consider that part of the skits. I kind of consider it like an, a cold open, like kind of setting you in the mood for the rest of the film. Yeah, I can see that, but it still felt to me like because of its abbreviated nature and just how it just unfolds. I just liked the way that one. Played out the best. I didn't even. I, I don't even know if I liked the scene that much. I just love that the last shot was <laughs> best, best shot in the film. <laughs> so yeah, so that that's definitely a yay. I mean, both Good Night, Mommy, Wild Tales, a yay. I some of the you know as you get with some of the, those films that have um, separate you know stories, some are better than others. I, I thought the last one, uh, Death Until Death Do Us Part, was a little bit drawn out, but hmm. you know it was it was good, certainly good. Um, Friends of Eddie Coyle I cut up with. We mentioned nice. this a few months ago is coming out. I know, uh, Tim, you've seen this. I have seen it. It's, it's really great yeah. slice of, uh, of life in Boston, I think. Yes. Yeah. Another 1970s gem. It's, it's so slow and so 1970s. And if, and it, but it feels yeah. so real, you know, and lived yeah. in. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. It, it reminded me of, you know, why I loved, uh, Most Violent Year for its slow pace and, you know, lived in <laughs> realistic um, and I would say it, it does include some real Boston locations. I watched it with my friend Keith Silva, who's uh, from that area, and he recognized the, the areas um, you know, that it was filmed in. So Yeah, just being, cool. even though that scene inside the Boston Garden, the old garden, you know? Yeah, yeah, which may or may not have been, it, it may have been uh, comm shot commando style, like they didn't have uh, permission to do that. Interesting. So, yeah. But yeah, I just love the final shot, the the freeze frame. Uh, you guys just reviewed Rafifi, you know. I, I I look looking forward to to listening to that. It's um, yeah, just a really good film. I, again, a theme I picked out of this, you know, living outside of the law yet under the law at the mm, same time. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. A spoiler but, alert: we all hated Rafifi. No, really? You'll listen to it. 
Okay, I'm done. <laughs> Hanging up now. Hanging up. I have Bye, been guys. known to I have been known to lie in the past though, Mark. Okay, okay. Phew. Thank God. <laughs> <laughs> like there's no way you guys didn't like that movie. Okay. I loved your initial what? <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. Um, <laughs> oh, great heist movie. So lastly, I, I just I wanted to point this one out because um, I, I know you guys think that I just like depressing movies, but I and that I like Hermano don't like fun. But I did watch the movie Trainwreck. So this is crossover because I saw this as well. I've ah, seen Trainwreck as well, too. Excellent. OK, so what do you think? Uh, I thought it was okay. great. I liked it. Hmm. I thought the dance scene went on a little too long. But that's, I mean, that's really my only, like, like, the only major complaint I can remember having from watching that movie. I, I, I found myself uh, saying that Judd Apatow needs someone to cut his films for him because... Yes, he does. Uh, even, even at just over two hours, it's probably one of his more recent shorter films, and it is still way too long. It is. Um, I did not care for it that much. I thought it was okay. Uh, I, well, I... I that's a little strong, you know, saying I didn't care for that much. There were moments that I did care for that I thought were pretty good, pretty funny, pretty genuine, uh, all due to Amy Schumer, you know, and Agreed. and her performance. Uh, but uh, co- considering that it's fucking written by Amy Schumer, you'd think that she would have looked at a bunch of romantic comedies in, uh, in recent years and been like, I want to do something different, and there's nothing different uh, in here. Uh, I think Bill Hader is easily the best part of this film. Um, I think that Ooh, he yeah, I don't agree with you there. But, I, okay. I think that he is involved in a scene that is one of the worst and most misguided scenes that involves an intervention held by LeBron James and and um, Matthew Broderick, Marv Albert, <laughs> and, and um, uh, Chris Everett, uh, the the tennis player. Uh, and that scene is completely misplaced. Doesn't even belong in this film. It, it is it is so forced in. Uh, that doesn't even uh, play to anything else in the film into his his character arc. It's so terrible. It's awful. Uh, I know. I, I love the Marv Albert uh, commentary. Oh, I hated that. Great. I hated every second of it, Mark. I <laughs> oh, hated that was it. hilarious. Ugh, awful. Uh, I liked it. Uh, I, that was cracking me up. Awful. I don't know. I I thought I liked Schumer. I like Schumer. I thought Bill Hader was a just a blank slate. I didn't like him at all. Hmm. Um, unfortunately, I, I did like LeBron James, John Cena. John Cena um, was great Cena. in the beginning yep. of the film. However, that seemed like an element that was cut out. Like he should have showed up at the end of the film, mm. you know, like uh, with his, uh, with another significant other, I should say. Um, yeah. And uh, and uh, who else did you say? Uh, well, LeBron James. LeBron, oh yeah, he's he's fine. You know, yep. he finally proves that he's better at something than Michael Jordan. <laughs> <laughs> nice. I thought Brie Larson was good too, but I mean, as far as uh, someone knocking it out of the park in this film, Tilda Swinton. Anybody? She uh, was. Oh, yes. I didn't even recognize. I didn't even know it was her until no. the end of the film. Yeah, she was amazing. Bill Swinton is the is the amazing. female Gary Oldman. She really yeah. is. Yeah. She's she just she hits it every single time. She's she's the best. But yeah, I I mean I thought it was an engaging two and a th- first two thirds until it devolves into that normal romantic comedy at the I, end. I thought and, the ending was terrible. The de- uh, the dance sequence I, you talk about, Wally? Yeah, that was I awful. That. I awful. did not like the dance sequence. Yeah, yeah, I didn't like it. And I agree with the, the length. I mean, no romantic comedy should be two hours. It should be an hour and a half at best. At so best, at most, it's, yeah. 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 It's it's a mild, uh, mild yay. I mean, check it out. I would say, I would say you know. meh. Yeah, it's it's a mad, but I mean, I just 
I'm not a romantic comedy fan, so you know if you want to check it out for the first you know two thirds and then turn it off, you're you're fine. Did you watch this with the wife? I did. Did yeah. she? Did- she liked it. Yeah. yeah. My my wife had no interest. In it. She she walked out about 20, 15 minutes before it even ended. She was like, wow. I'm done. <laughs> <laughs> nice. Yeah. So that's train wreck. That's it for me. Walter? I've seen one thing. It's a series on Netflix uh, that is on right now. And I would highly recommend that our listeners check this out because this is fucked up. It's have you guys seen Making a Murderer yet? Oh no, I haven't. Nope, Filmed no. over a 10-year period, Making a Murder is an unprecedented real-life thriller about Stephen Avery, a DNA exoneree who, while in the midst of explosion corruption in, lo- a lo- in local law enforcement, finds himself the prime suspect in a grisly new crime. Uh, it, and, Twitter won't shut up about this. It, and it, they sh- rightly shouldn't, because uh, I want to I go into some details about it. I mean, it's, it's all real-life, so I'm not sure if it's a spoilery thing to talk about it or not. I'm, um, I'm not even familiar with this, this story, so... The, the the short short version is um, there's a guy named Steve Avery who was accused of um, was accused of a crime and sent to prison for 18 years and had multiple there were multiple things that came up during the time of his incarceration that could have and should have exonerated him or at least gotten a, another look into his case ultimately he's exonerated by DNA and starts a criminal uh, starts a starts suing the county that he's in um, because of his wrongful imprisonment. Now during this during this these proceedings, suddenly another dead body appears on in on his property, and it the, the evidence is shaky at best. There's people who are being ta- there's like people who are um, who are mentally handicapped that are being interrogated by the police without a lawyer present, and then using that conf- like using that those tapes as evidence against Stephen Avery to put him back into prison where he is right now. It's fucked up, hmm. and uh, the this this series is incredibly well done, it's gripping and engaging, um, and I, I can't say enough. I can't heap enough praise on this. This is I, I wish this was a movie so I could I could put it in my top ten of uh, of the hmm. year because this is certainly uh, a series worth watching. How many uh, shows are in this season? Um, oh, it I have looks to go like back ten. And take it looks look. like I'm, ten. I'm, okay, yeah, it's like ten or something like that. All right. Uh, no, yeah, I'm interested in checking this out. Uh, I'll Definitely, I would recommend every, like all of our like all of our listeners check it out. Yeah, sure. Nine point four on IMDb. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> well, uh, if it, basically, if you like cereal, you would love this. Right. Yeah, that's the comparison I keep uh, thinking about and hearing about too. Uh, well, speaking about Netflix, I finished uh, Jessica Jones. What'd you think? Um, it's good. You know, I, I enjoyed it for the most part. Uh, I I think that it's dra- it drags out at times. Uh, I think it's uh, there are times where it's like, okay, the bad guy gets away conveniently, you know, just to make another show, another episode. I mean, so I I don't know. There are times where the the plot structure kind of annoys me. But overall, you know, I I like her as a character. I like her involvement with this other uh, person with powers and Luke Cage. You know, I like how that's developed. I like her history. I like the, the villain itself. I think the villain is really compelling. Um I like how it at least seems like there's there's a final ending to, to this uh, as opposed to something like uh, Daredevil, even though I think I, I prefer Daredevil overall, you know, uh, but I still enjoy this, you know, uh, Hermano, your, your complaints about the first three episodes that you saw will continue if you had had continued on with the series. So I would not recommend you continue on with the series. Um, I put the series above Daredevil. 
I have you seen the whole thing? I have not finished it yet. Okay. Uh, everything I've seen so far, I, I love this series more than Daredevil. Uh, no, I can see that. You know, I can see people, you know, having a, a preference over this because, you know, she, I, I do enjoy Kristen Ritter's performance in this. I do enjoy her character. Uh, and uh, there does seem to be a little bit more history and depth when it comes to character uh, than the uh, the Daredevil uh, character. So, I mean, I would still give it a mild yay. I, I, I enjoyed it overall. <clears throat> uh, just quickly, I, I rewatched Before Midnight, Mark. Mark, nice. Before midnight. Oh my God, Mark. <laughs> uh, it, didn't didn't you watch the first or or the second film recently too? I did a couple months ago. Yeah. Okay. And yep. uh, I, I, for some reason, I was thinking you'd watched all three. So yeah, does it hold up? Oh uh, yes, Mark. Yes, it does. <sighs> um, it is. It is uh, best trilogy of all time. That's all I'm saying. Uh, uh, I've wow. said it before. I'll say it again. Best trilogy of all time. Uh, Love it. I, I love you have a the, favorite of the three films? It's still a second one. Still yeah. a second one. Uh, yeah. So, yeah, it's, uh, but this is still amazing. Anyways, nice. moving on. Nice work. Uh, I, uh, speaking about TV, though, going back to TV, uh, Fargo season two finished it. Um, best television series of this year so far. Uh, you know, so uh, I, 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 I can't believe you guys haven't been or aren't watching it. I, I'm I'm disappointed in everyone who hasn't watched this uh, series. Uh, I think it ends on a perfect note. Uh, it's just it's just amazing parallels to the first season. Obviously, not just connections, but also story parallels and and thematic parallels with with the movie. It, it's really striking how they can uh, carry on the the same theme and expand on it in a TV series and make it. So great, so compelling. It's awesome, amazing. Fargo, best television series. Uh, hi, yay. Uh, other than Star Wars, The Force Awakens, uh, which I saw on Saturday, I also saw another movie on Saturday that was uh, probably uh, as equally and maybe even slightly more entertaining than Star Wars, The Force Awakens, and that's Fifty Shades of Grey. <laughs> I saw your tweets on this. Yes, me too. Uh, Mark, you laugh. You laugh. I was reading your tweets aloud at work. <laughs> Uh, you laugh, but this this can't. this is this is one of the most entertaining movies I, I I have seen in some time because the script is so goddamn bad, <laughs> but it is is it is it so bad it's good? Oh my god! It's it's like uh, it's I'm not gonna I would never put this on the level of the room or troll or uh, two or anything like that. But I think that there this is this is a movie that needs that deserves to be on. Uh, how did this get made? Uh, and and to be eviscerated on that because uh, the 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 script is is so laughably bad. I'm laughing like every second line. My 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 wife. Were, were you like alone in the film in the theater? The only guy laughing. The kind theater. Of thing, I, I was well. Fortunately, I was at home. But my wife popped oh. in at one point and said, "What are you watching?" And I said, Fifty Shades of Grey," and I've enjoyed the oh. hell out of it. Um, it, it's just, uh, yes, it, no, it, it's not a good movie at all. It's it's not. Uh, it's just so. Oh my God! I can't even describe the experience of watching this and how everything unfolds. It's, I mean, the fact that Christian Grey at one point says to to Anastasia, he he says, "I don't make love, I fuck hard." It's it's just it's just so great. Uh, yeah, it, it's just it's just amazing. So <laughs> I I, I it, 
it, honestly, if you have a drink in your hand and you watch this movie with with a, a couple of beers or a, a bottle of whiskey or something like that, it, it's totally worth it. Totally. Is it, I mean, is it one to see with your significant other or no? Mm, uh, no, I would say no. I, well, I don't know because it's so fun. It's so funny. It's so funny how bad it is. It, it's it's amazing. So you can laugh at it. Okay. Oh, you can definitely laugh at it. it it's 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 fantastic. It's like a viewing party movie. Um, yeah. Possibly. Maybe a, maybe a double bill with Showgirls. <laughs> well, oh, Showgirls is fantastic. Don't don't you disrespect Showgirls. <laughs> wow. I see what side of the fence you're on. <laughs> um, and speaking about television, going back to television again, uh, Hermano, you've been raving about a certain television series that's been on Comedy Central recently. Uh, oh, Nathan, for you? So I watched the whole second season. Woo! Wait, uh, second? The second season, yes. Oh, they're on the third season right now. Okay. Uh, well, that's the only one that was available on demand for me. Okay. <clears throat> and uh, you're right. Th- this show is very funny. It is, a, you know, one thing I was really struck by, Nathan Fielder, is is how well he does at keeping a straight face in such awkward situations. Um, his, just the, his ability to continue an awkward situation, an awkward confrontation. And also like convince people to do things that they clearly, the look on their face is like, they don't, they're not buying what he's selling. Like, right, and right. They but, go along with it. Exactly. But also I think that there's a lot of clever editing going on in this show. Oh but, yeah. It's hard sometimes to tell whether or not things are staged or it's this is all real it's really walking a fine line but the the things that that unfold in in what happens like for instance this this guy who has a struggling taxi service he says what's what's the best way to to get your taxi service some recognition and on the news if you have uh somebody who's pregnant a baby delivered in your taxi so it's the it's all (laughs) over the news i remember that so he's he tries to to get a pregnant woman who's seven months pregnant to to have her baby delivered in this retrofitted taxi uh, that has a, a midwife in in this weird looking garage. <laughs> <laughs> it's just so funny. wait. Is season two the one? Is season two also the one with the 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 pig and the goat? Uh, <laughs> the pig and the goat. I don't think so. No. Uh, there was one episode where, like, it actually went viral on the internet, and it was one of those things, kind of like the dumb Starbucks things, where people weren't sure what was happening and if someone had actually opened the store called Dumb Starbucks. But they, he he had staged. He was trying to get this like um, almost like a uh, a privately owned zoo more exposure, and he staged a scene where a pig saves a goat from drowning. <laughs> It was amazing, like how this thing went viral and how they staged it. Like, in it, it's it's so funny how he can set up a stage like this and and how he's almost meta commentating on the idea of the viral video. Mm-hmm. It's it's really clever. It is interesting, yeah. But this was the season with the dumb Starbucks, and uh, and that was something that had made national news, like it said, and and it's um, yeah, it's a uh, it, it's a really a good show although see since i i marathoned it pretty much i watched all eight episodes in like three days uh you 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 can de- watching it that way you can definitely tell the the rhythm to the show yeah and sure. and how there may be clever editing but i was just marveling at his ability to to create and contain the awkwardness in a situation uh it, it's it's like a, a, a skill you know it's a real skill that he has 
that I, I was just marveling at. So yeah, yay for Nathan for you. G- uh, well done recommending that, uh, Hermano. Sure. Uh, and uh, to you, what have you seen? Okay, so for those fuckers out there that say I don't like fun, uh, I actually watched uh, two comedy series and one movie. I'll start off with the web series on YouTube. Um, I don't know how, if this is even going to continue, but I watched this and I thought the premise was so clever that I really hope that they continue with this premise. And uh, it's a web series called Drivers. Have you guys heard of this? No. No. Uh, it's spelled D-R-Y-V-R-S. It's only one episode so far, um, and I think the person behind it is a guy called Jack Deschel. So basically, the first episode is five minutes long, and it's basically, uh, it takes a character from a movie, and the entire five minutes is spent on what if that character uh, was a real person, they started off as like a child actor, and they were uh, affected in their life as they got older by an event that happened to them as a child in a movie. So the first episode revolves around Macaulay Culkin's character from Home Alone. Hmm. So Kevin McAllister. And now he's older, obviously. So they have older Macaulay Culkin. And he's playing his character from the movie as if his his life was deeply affected by the events of Home Alone. <laughs> uh, the event of being left home alone for you know a couple of days while people are trying to break in and kill you. Um, it's, it's really clever. I think the premise is the best thing about it. Hmm. I mean... The dialogue is hilarious. He's basically um, he plays a, a basically like an Uber driver. Uh, so Kevin McAllister basically became an Uber driver, and he's picking up his fare. And uh, basically, he starts going on about like you know uh, it, the story sets off. He ignores a call from his mother, and the guy, the passenger, is like, "Oh, that's pretty cold." And he's like, "Oh, you want to hear about cold?" And he starts to outline the what happened to him in Home Alone <laughs> and how his parents like. Um, you know, left him home alone, and these guys were trying to break into his house, and they were so weird, they didn't even swear, they were calling him louse, <laughs> instead of, like, using F-words and stuff like that. It's pretty clever and pretty funny. Um, I think the biggest drawback to it is it's not super polished. You can kind of tell it has a very uh, DIY feel to it. Um, but overall, I, f- I kind of fell in love with the, the idea of the premise, so I, I kind of hope it continues on with, uh, you know, similar stories, maybe other child actors and maybe, like, characters they played in movies and now that they're older, like, what happened to them and stuff like that. So I would kind of say yay on it just based on the first episode. Um, I can't speak to, you know, obviously I don't know where the the series is going to go, but uh, the first episode was pretty solid. Uh, Next, I watched a Netflix series uh, called Master of None. Uh, I've only watched the first two episodes. Uh, it stars uh, Aziz Ansari and uh, I guess some other comedians. And the synopsis is The Personal and Professional Life of Dev, a 30 year old actor in New York. Um, I think that this, the show kind of mimics, um, it's made probably loosely based on Aziz Ansari himself. Uh, he plays kind of like a, um, a guy that um, got discovered and was in like a, a, a Gogurt commercial. <laughs> and uh that's kind of how he's he's trying to build on that and, and kind of build, build more of a career for himself so he goes to like auditions and stuff like that but the first two episodes were so clever like the, the first episodes revolves around um so he's 30 years old and that's usually around the time that most people start thinking about maybe starting a family so it's it, it, the first episode completely revolves around um the, the prospect of having kids and he kind of is in the, in the whole 30 minutes it's basically him 
um, kind of wrestling with the idea of like the the idealistic neat like ways you could look at having kids and how you know oh you know I have kids I'm a father now this is going to be the best and also the downside to having kids and maybe the reality is like you know when kids go through their terrible twos and and things like that so it's it's kind of like weighing the pros and cons of having kids and and, and there's a lot of scenes you know um, that are pretty comedic with you know friends of his that decided to go that route and, and, and it's contrasted by his own life. And I thought that was pretty clever, but I think the, the one that really sold this series for me was the second episode, which revolves around, um, uh, him and his friend. And they're both, um, he's obviously of Indian descent and his friend is Asian and it revolves around like immigrant parents. And it's so clever the way it's done. It's like basically how like kids these days have it so easy and they don't know how hard it was for like, especially like immigrant parents to have to leave their home country and come to the U S and it's almost like starting over and just kind of the hardships they had to face and how kids these days are so spoiled. And like, it's so funny. Like there's scenes that directly flash back to how hard their parents have it and how like, you know, something as simple as like, uh, Aziz Ansari's dad asking him to help him with his like iPad <laughs> and Aziz Ansari just has no time for him. And it flashes back to his dad like when he was younger and how like he, he had had to deal with all these hardships and he his dad wouldn't even buy him a guitar and stuff like that. It's so fucking hilarious. Like I'm definitely going to continue on with the show. I think it's really well done. And screw you guys who don't think I like to have fun. Nice. Um, and lastly, I watched the movie that I believe Mark has watched. And um, I, it's from this year and it's called Bone Tomahawk. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, so... Uh, the synopsis on this is four men set out in the Wild West to rescue a group of captives from cannibalistic cave dwellers. Um, I'm surprised to see that this is classified as an adventure drama horror <laughs> on on IMDb. Um, I, I would basically call it a Western horror. Mm. Uh, there's definitely some adventure in it, obviously. Uh, uh, Kurt Russell plays the sheriff of this small town. Uh, Richard... Uh, Jenkins plays his deputy and uh, Patrick Wilson is uh, a husband who one of the captives is his wife and they, they set out to uh, try to bring them back. Um, I thought the movie was pretty solid, uh, maybe a little too long. Yeah. Um, it, it's definitely feels, it starts off definitely as kind of feeling like a Western, kind of like a darker Western. And then it definitely trans uh, like, just changes into kind of like a horror movie by the final act. Um, there's a scene in this movie. I'm sure you'll know what I'm talking about, Mark. Oh yes. That you don't is, even have to say. <laughs> oh my God. I will for the rest of my life, never forget this moment. No, it, it's so one of those scenes that you, you really wish you could go back and never have seen. It kind of reminded me of the baby scene from a Serbian film. Like I just wish I had never seen that. And in this film, there's a scene that I think is, about as graphic as I've ever seen a scene. Like they do not even cut away. And I'm just like, Holy fuck. Um, I, I thought about that scene. I've, it's about a week now since I've seen it. And I thought about that scene every day since. Oh, wow. <laughs> I'm like, I don't know how long it's going to be before I can actually erase that, that moment from, from my memory. But, um, overall, I, I, I don't know. It, it's not a terrible movie. I, I definitely wish it was a little bit shorter. Mm-hmm. Uh, Richard Jenkins for me steals the show. I, I thought he was pretty solid in this. Kurt Russell was pretty good. Patrick Wilson, I thought, was just kind of wasted. He's he's yeah. kind of in and out of the film. Uh, he he goes away for a large section of it, but I thought once the the I guess they they call them the troglodytes in this film. Once they get um, introduced, I thought the movie got 
like the, obviously the stakes are significantly raised and I thought it got really solid right there. Oh, also yeah. uh, Matthew Fox is in this. I liked his role. I actually thought he was pretty solid in this. I don't, I don't, I haven't seen him in a, in a ton of stuff since lost, but I thought he was pretty good in this playing kind of a, a charismatic, like well-to-do um, like frontier, like a Western guy basically. So overall I, I would recommend it just uh, be warned. There's a, an incredibly graphic scene in this film. <laughs> Uh, okay, that does it for this episode of the First Time Watchers podcast. You can find us on Facebook by searching First Time Watchers. We post movie news and updates that we think you would be interested in. You can email us at firsttimewatchers at gmail.com. You can talk to us on Twitter at the number one, sttimewatchers at twitter.com. Or follow us on our Tumblr page, firsttimewatchers.tumblr.com. And if you want to leave us a voicemail, dial 508-399-1764. Please download our episodes on iTunes. Feel free to leave a review. Any and all feedback is greatly appreciated. If you have any suggestions of movies for us to watch, please send a tweet, an email, or post on our Facebook page. In lieu of suggestions of uh, uh, or recommendations from us, we are going to rank the entire Star Wars trilogy. Uh, Mark, let's start with you. All right. Uh, and we are including Episode 7? Yes. Okay, so I'm going to say, as, as always, four slash five. So I can't separate the two. I love both four and five equally. Four, five may be the better film, but I'm going four, five, uh, six, Return of the Jedi, seven, The Force Awakens, three, Revenge of the Sith, two, Attack of the Clones, and one, The Phantom Menace, although one and two are probably interchangeable. <laughs> uh, Walter. Uh, so I have mine as uh, Return of the Jedi in one. Empire Strikes Back is two, and New Hope is three. The Force Awakens fourth, Revenge of the Sith as fifth, and The Phantom Menace. <laughs> and I would say I, I I can't even count the Clone Wars. That movie's so fucking boring. This nothing happens in that movie that I don't even know why it exists. That's funny, uh, Hermano. Okay, so basically, um, Empire Strikes Back. It's gonna be. A lot like Mark's, I think. Empire Strikes Back first, then A New Hope, then Return of the Jedi, Force Awakens, uh, Revenge of the Sith, um, Phantom Menace. I think I give a slight edge to uh, Phantom Menace over Attack of the Clones. Oh, wait for the controversy right here. Uh, Empire Strikes Back, Revenge of the Sith, The Force, wow. Awa- the Force Awakens, Return of the Jedi, wow. a, a New Hope, Attack, wow. Attack of the Clones... The Phantom Menace. Oh, Tim. Wow. Yeah, that's right. That's right. Soak it in, guys. Soak it in. You better did, get down to one ST Time Watchers at Twitter.com. <laughs> <laughs> did, you put, did you put The Force Awakens over A New Hope? Did I, I did. hear that right? I even put it over Return of the Jedi. Wow. And you put Revenge of the Sith number two? I did. Did it I is, catch that? It is the second best Star Wars film so far. Wow. All right. Bull- you, you like them dark. Mm, I like them good. Number and, five and number three, the two uh, darkest. I, I like them good and dark. And oh, wait a minute, <laughs> wait a minute. Um, Mark, thank thank you so much for joining us. Oh, thanks for having me on. I just again want to say thank you for having me on the Star Wars episode. It is a, a honor, pleasure. I really look forward to talking about this film with you guys. So thanks so much for having me on. And where can people find you online? Uh, Twitter sphere at Mark Herney. It's H U R N E is the last name. You can find the uh, Criterion Close Up podcast at Criterion CU on Twitter. Uh, we're also on the website is Criterion Close Up slash podcast and Facebook, same place, Criterion Close Up. Uh, and stay tuned for our next episode. We'll be releasing a special episode in which we dis- uh, discuss the best films of the decade so far. That's the first time watching this podcast because we like to watch. 
I call my I lovingly call my wife the Christmas Nazi because we're done shopping by <laughs> Thanksgiving pretty much. We have one or two other things to buy. Oh my god! I, I yeah. still Thanksgiving. Yeah. Every yeah, year, absolutely. every year, I say to myself, I I need to start in October. I need to start in October. And every year, I'm like, fucking bills. God damn it. <laughs> I, I wish I I wish I was that. You know. I think. I mean, I think the best deals are found right after Christmas. Anyway, like if you shop the first or two weeks after. So shop for the next year. Make have everything yeah, just be out of go. style for everybody. <laughs> <laughs> I got you this. Well, yeah, thanks. Oh, uh, so I, actually, I was thinking like the, the week after Thanksgiving. And go home, park the car, and I. Usually, you can park the car, usually, um, there's some spots open around that time. So I try to avoid the, the corners closest to my house because I've seen a number of accidents that have happened where, like, someone blows the stop sign coming one way and gets plowed from the other side, and those cars end up hitting another car. So I park down the street thinking, all right, I'll probably be safer down here. I go to bring her to work, and I look around the car, and I'm like, wow, somebody fucking got swiped last night. There's plastic all over the place. Then I look over at my door and it's like the mirror's hanging by a wire. I'm like, fucking hey, it was me! <laughs> oh my god. So, Time to move I, to Attleboro. For real. With off-street parking, because this sucks. Ramon, I've already torn through all those three root beers that Mia gave me. <laughs> oh, really? Yep. Wow. You weren't kidding, man, when you said you like those. <laughs> I love these things. I go through them like you wouldn't believe. The plot. The 20- oh my oh, god sorry. damn it. <laughs> Are you, are you, do you need anything to say? Anything else? You, you all say? I'll wait till after. <laughs> if I ever, if I ever get a, a if I ever donate enough to get a, a, a custom made T shirt, I'm getting Barry as Slave Leia. That's that's what's gonna happen uh, for sure. Yikes! That would be so much fun to draw. <laughs> yeah, well, yeah, just just to just to have to you know make Walter draw it. That's the only reason I would do it. Poor Walter. <laughs> I wouldn't be forcing it. I'd be giggling all the way. Like, this is hilarious. You're talking to a guy who drew a T-Rex in high heel shoes for a 5K t-shirt. Right. <laughs> but then we'd have to get Hyro as somebody in Jabba's Palace. I don't know who it would be. But... He'd be like Salacious Crumb. Salacious Crumb, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. 